Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Bat Around, coming to you live from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. The Bat Around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. A lot to talk about today. And uh, Zach, first and foremost, well, first and foremost, I'm Paul Valley. I'm your host. This is Zach Goodman, my extraordinarily talented co-host, who is also now the producer of the show. Zach, how are you this morning? Pretty good, Paul. Um, you know, not the not the best week of Orioles baseball we just saw, but they are the first place Baltimore Orioles. I think we have to say that on this uh, morning because well, it's, well, pr- it's probably the only time we'll be saying that. We're we're, we're going to say it as long as we get to say it, and it's exactly. it's true. They are the first place Baltimore Orioles, not playing their best baseball right now. But despite that fact, despite the two nineteen batting average and the major league leading ninety one strikeouts, they are your first place. Baltimore Orioles. However, there is. Are you recording the show? Yeah, it's it's going. Can you pull it up? Because I don't I don't see it. Uh... Sorry, folks. I just want to make sure that we're that we're um, off to the start here. Hit the record button. Anyway, we're just going to keep going because well, one of our programs working a little bit weird this morning. I don't yeah, know. We're, we're anyway. Sorry, sorry for the dead air there for a little bit. We have to make sure that we're recording, and we are recording where it where it matters. It's it's not looking like one of the programs is going right today. But, but we'll, we'll see. Here, go up go up to that corner right there and hit sure. new. I don't know what's going on. I don't we, we, we are recording. Our backup doesn't look like it's recording, although it does say that it is recording, but we're not seeing anything on the screen. So I guess we'll just figure that one out later. Yeah, well, it, only, it only matters if we don't have the right way to up, upload to SoundCloud, but I think that we do. So anyway, getting back to some baseball talk here. Uh, look, the Orioles are making negative attention again, and it's not for their play on the field. Um, it's not in my notes, Zach, and I know I didn't send this to you, but it's something that we have to talk about. I got a lot of text messages, a lot of Twitter messages, a lot of... A lot of stuff on the WhatsApp for the on Birdland tonight, so I want to address it. Uh, Ryan Wagner, uh, he's been the PA guy for the Orioles at Camden Yards for ten years. Only the third full-time PA announcer, uh, PA announcer. The, only the third third full-time PA guy uh, in the history of Camden Yards, in the history of the Orioles, and he was let go. On opening day, he showed up to the stadium. He was doing some commercial voiceovers, and the Orioles came up to him and they said, "You gotta go." They asked him to leave, and everybody's asking me why, guys. I don't know why. I, 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 there's Dan Dan Connolly put out an article in the Athletic, basically saying that he that that Ryan Wagner had been kind of warned about some some political tweets that he had put out in the past and the, that the Orioles didn't like, and he'd been warned, and so we have to assume that. He was let go because of another controversial tweet. I don't know what the tweet said. I saw some fodder online that I don't believe. I don't believe that Ryan Wagner would ever say um, what he what one one little snippet accused him of saying. I feel like that was a fake. Um, it it was definitely not his avatar that was next to this tweet. Um, so I'm not even going to repeat it. Uh, but whatever it was, we're going to miss him. 
in in the the PA booth. Uh, he was the voice of the Orioles in that stadium for the last ten years. <clears throat> if you don't recall, he is a Baltimore native. He is an ambassador uh, for for Guinness here in Baltimore, and uh, he was part of the MLB Fan Cave, the very first MLB Fan Cave where it was he and another guy, they spent the entire Major League season in a studio that you could look into. It was a studio apartment. Um, They got to watch every single Major League game for the entire six-month season and the postseason. Um, He won a contest to be part of that event. I don't know what that event was like for him. It, it, it has to get tiring if you can't leave. I'm not sure how that was. Um, but that kind of catapulted him into becoming the PA guy for the Orioles in the stadium. Uh, but he was just let go on opening day. You don't know why. You don't know what he said, what his tweet was, because it certainly wasn't for the way he, he performed. Uh, it, it wasn't based on how he did the job, because he was great. He was definitely great. He yeah. was great. He, he's why J.J. Hardy is known as J. J. Hardy. And I shouldn't even say that, because I'm not good enough to fill his shoes with that. Um, so it wasn't performance-based. He was let go because of something controversial. Um, as soon as we know, we can let you know. Uh, yeah, we don't really want to speculate necessarily because we don't know exactly what it was. Um, but, you know, I, I think it sounded like the Orioles had warned him multiple times of what he had done. That's what Dan Connolly said in his athletic article. So it looks like this has been not something that was a, a new occurrence, I guess. But it does seem kind of weird to all of a sudden send him home on opening day after he'd been there for a while. Maybe a little more to that story, but like you said, we just don't know and don't really want to speculate um, at this time. But it is kind of a weird situation. Like you said, he always did a great job. Um, I always personally enjoyed really listening to him uh, as the PA announcer for the Orioles. Like you said, the J.J. Hardy call is, is you know pretty pretty iconic by now, I would say. Um, and he always did a great job. You know, always had kind of that classic announcer's voice. And you know, only the third PA announcer in Baltimore Orioles uh, or Camden Yards, I should say, history. So. I don't know who the next one will be. I know the, the Bowie, Bay, uh, Bowie Bay Sox broadcaster, she was uh, filling in this weekend, and it sounds like she's going to fill in for a little while. So um, I guess the Orioles are going to hire someone else. Maybe they'll hire her. We'll see what happens. It, it could be her. It could be another step in that direction of having more and more female employees yeah. and broadcasters and the like uh, in Major League Baseball. But, yeah, it's, a, it's still a mystery. It could be a mystery for a long time unless Ryan comes out and specifically says why the Orioles told him they were letting him go. Uh, we're not going to know. But when he, te- when he lets us know, we can let you know. But until then, we just don't know. Moving on. Orioles, they open the season by sweeping the Red Sox in Boston for the first time since 2017, I believe. Yep. Uh, but they've lost three of their next four games to the Yankees and Boston in the home opener on Thursday. The Orioles did break a 12-game losing streak in Yankee Stadium with their 4-3 to extra innings win on Wednesday. The home opener was a sellout, though the announced attendance was only 10,150. Um they said it was going to be about 11,000. That's not quite 11,000. That's barely 10,000. Uh, so I'm not sure what that was about. But, hey, they, they call it a sellout, so we're going to call it a sellout. Yours truly was in attendance. Now, one, let me tell you what happened to us. Laura went online about 10, 15 days ago, and she ordered us tickets from SeatGeek. And they were, they were good seats. They were Section 17, I believe, Row 12. It cost us a pretty penny. It was about $210 yeah. a piece for these seats after fees. We wake up on the morning of opening day, the home opener, and we still don't have those tickets. Laura had gotten an email from SeatGeek saying, oh, the the tickets have been transferred. Uh, Here's the link to get them. And they were not there. We never got them. So I had to go and buy more tickets on Thursday morning. 
Uh, we never got those tickets from SeatGeek, so we're waiting to get our money back from that. But so our seats changed. We were in section 320, row one. First inning of the game. Marwin Gonzalez at the plate. I told Laura when we were um, out with some friends before the game, I said, we're going to get a foul ball today. First inning, Marwin Gonzalez hits a pop-up to me. I stand up, the ball's coming, and I realize it's headed for my beautiful future bride. So I heroically reach out my hand to try to save her. Beer in left hand, reach out the right hand, try to catch the ball. It lands flush in the middle of my palm. And for some reason, I couldn't wrap the fingers around it. It bounced straight Un- up. Unbelievable. Unacceptable. It bounced straight up, hit the railing, bounced over, rolled across the facade, and then falls down to the lower level. Guys, I did not hear the end of this. Not from my fiance. From the entire section that I was sitting in. The entire game. It was a ninth inning. And they were still like, oh, he caught it. Oh, he caught it. Let me tell you. No other fan in that stadium, except for a woman dressed in a clown costume with orange and black pom-poms, in my same row, a section over, she's the only person that caught a foul ball on the fly. And it's because it hit her in the chest and landed in her pom-pom. Everybody else I watched, oh, I made sure. The home runs, the foul balls, not one person caught it in the air. But I'm the one that gets made fun of. Yeah, it's just what's going to happen, I guess. When you uh, you know you host a baseball show and you play a lot of baseball and you don't catch the the foul ball, it's too bad. Yeah, but. even even <laughs> a guy who I played baseball with was a couple of sections over, and he called me and I, I answered the phone and said, "Yep, that was me." He goes, "Dude, put down the beer and use two hands, catch the ball." So that was my first claim to fame. My uh, yes, my first claim to fame in this game. My not, second not one. Not the good one. Not, that, not, not the good the one. The good one's coming up. The good one's coming up. So Laura puts up a post. Um, let me tell you a brief story here. We have a little bit of time because uh, Stan Charles has a bar mitzvah today, so he's not going to be on the program. Um, so we're not going to have our first guest till 10.50, so you get Paul Valley story time. Um, so Laura and I, we met over a mutual love for the Orioles. I won't get into the whole story of how we met because that could take a while, but we met over a mutual love of the Orioles. So after we'd been dating for a year, um, her father and my father paid for a skybox in Camden Yards. And I got her down there on August 11th, 2019, under the impression that I was doing a live recording of the payoff pitch for Utah Street Report and Fanimal Radio from the game. So we get down there, and her family and my family are all in the skybox. Um, I start making this big speech about how I'm really happy to have everybody there to see me do what I do live. And then I said, but it's all, it's all a show. I'm not actually here to record it. And I turned to Laura. I told her how much I loved her, and I got down on one knee, and I proposed. Um, and she said yes. There was a little bit of a delay that made me nervous, but she said yes. She said yes. Uh, it, was, it was a great day. Champagne, beautiful ring. Um, it, it, was, it was a great day, one of the best days of our lives. So that was the last game that we were in Camden Yards, August 11th. 2019, Rio Ruiz hit a walk-off home run in that game against the Houston Astros, and so that we're going to name our dog Rio. We don't want to name our kid Rio. It's nothing against him. We just don't like the name for one of our children, but we're going to name our dog Rio after Rio Ruiz because he hit the Orioles' only walk-off hit of the year in that game, but we had him been back since. So Laura puts up a, t- a, a tweet 
of she and I wearing our masks in our seats on opening day, saying this is our first game since we got engaged here on August 11th, 2019. Melanie Newman contacts Laura and asks if they can use it during the program. And of course, we say yes. So Melanie, in about the seventh inning, shows our picture and says, Laura and her fiancé, Paul Valley, are here for the first time since they got engaged at the stadium in, in 2019. Couple minutes go by. She finishes doing all of her tweets. Scott Garceau has a little bit of input, and then Jim Palmer drags me through the mud. Drags me through per- the mud. Personally, I enjoyed it. I mean, no, I, I, it was all in good fun. He goes, "I'm really concerned about Laura and Paul engaged since 2019, and they haven't tied the knot yet. Paul's dragging his feet. Melanie, who's been on the show a couple of times, who I ran into in person down in Sarasota at Smith Stadium." She had my back. She told me that we were down at spring training. She said that because of COVID, you have to have a big wedding. Things get pushed back. Talked about she'd been a bridesmaid a number of times and what goes into a wedding. And then Jim says, if anything, I'm championing Paul because he'll never be accused of making a hasty decision. So that was, that was my claim to fame. I was on the Mass and Telecast and a Hall of Famer made fun of me. I did tweet to Jim Palmer that I'm a very lucky guy. The long engagement was Laura's idea. It was both of our ideas. Uh, we weren't ready to get married, but we were ready to make that commitment to each other. Um, and I told Jim that we were getting married in September, and I said, do you want to come? Jim did respond to me. He said, it's not out of the question. Good luck. So there's a chance. Look, I think we need to have him on the show to discuss. I would love to have Jim Palmer on the I show. Think Jim, I, I think Jim Palmer has to come on now. We have to make sure that the Orioles allow it to happen, but let's get Jim Palmer on the show, yeah, and, I, and we can talk about it. Um, but a, a Hall of Famer, a Cy Young Award winner, uh, the owner of 268 career wins and a 284 career ERA. Un- underwear model. Under, under, yes, a Fruit of Looms model. Uh, made fun of me. He made, he, he made fun of me on the Orioles broadcast, and I got a thousand uh, text messages about it. Everybody and their brother and mother wanted to tell me about it. Very cool moment. Very cool to see. Uh, I, reco- I recorded the, the replay of the game and took a video of that entire segment so that we can possibly play it at my wedding if it's at all possible. We'll see. But that was my claim to fame. It was a great opening day for me. Not so much for the Orioles. They lose that game 7-3. to Matt Harvey pitched a good game. He he, respectable game. Yeah, he gave up the two run homer to Rafael Devers in the in, in the first inning. That happens. Devers is a hell of a hitter who's off yep. to a slow start this year. One hundred and eleven miles off the bat. He uh, he was bound to get going at some point. At, at, it at was some going point. to happen. Everybody in the Red Sox lineup, at least in the heart of that order, the two through five hitters, I think combined for nine of their twelve hits and six of their seven runs. Um, they they they, they kind of went off a little bit in that game. Look. After that first inning, Harvey really settled it down. Ryan Mountcastle hits a two-run homer in the bottom of the first inning to tie the ball game up. It's a brand-new game. Harvey gets into the sixth inning. He gets an out, and then he he uh, and then he allows. Or did he get did he allow an out? Or uh, did, did he get an out? I believe he got pulled with two outs, but I could be wrong on that one. Well, he he gets a pop up to Ryan Mountcastle. No, no, no. He I think he walked the first hitter, and then he gets a pop up to Ryan Mountcastle. And Ryan Mountcastle does not catch the ball. Yeah. It, from where I looked, from where I was sitting, it looked like he didn't see it off the bat because he was jogging in kind of looking like, where is this thing? And then he finally saw it, and then you saw him speed up. He goes into a lunging little sideways slide. The ball bounces off his glove. Next thing you know, it's runners on first and second. Nobody out. Harvey gets pulled from the game. They bring in, they bring in Paul Fry. Yeah, that wasn't uh, what we expected out of really 2020 Paul Fry. This is yeah. not 2020 Paul Fry so well, far. He he struggled mightily. He did in spring training. He did. 
and it hasn't gotten better in the regular season. And they said that they didn't think he was working on anything in spring training. Everybody's always working on something. Right, which is a really bad sign if you're not working on something and you're having no success at all. Right. It's- so so he comes into the game, and he walks the first hitter that he faces. Then he gets a line drive into— No, no, I'm sorry. Walks the first hitter that he faces. Then he gets ahead of the next batter, and he gets a weak ground ball between first base and the pitcher's mound. It allows the run to score. They get the the the, the out at first base, but it was a very— unfortunately placed ground ball for the Orioles because not only does it allow the run to score, but it also it was hit so softly and in such a position that the runners were allowed to get to second and third. So now it's second and third with one out, and Fry gives up a line drive to left field. And Mountcastle plays it on the bounce. It looked like he pulled up. It looked like he should have caught the ball. It looked like he should have caught the he, ball. He should have caught the ball. Too, yeah. he, too hesitant. He didn't break on it in time. He was. He should have been there. Most outfielders are there. Yeah. Uh, you you have Austin Hayes out there. You have Ryan uh, McKenna out there. Right. McKenna they, or Hayes is definitely catching that ball. They catch the ball. Then he has a, a throwing error to allow the runner to advance. Right. Orioles are down 4-3 to three at this point. Um, and they bring in Dylan Tate. Dylan Tate gets out of the inning. He comes into the next inning. He gets an out. And then he gives up a double. And then they bring in Sean Armstrong. For, for no reason really pulling Tate there. There, yeah, they, was, there was no reason to pull Tate when they did. No reason to pull Tate no. when they did. Just like I felt like Harvey should have possibly been left in the game. I'm with you there, too. Because, because Harvey did, did his job. He, he got a routine fly ball that just wasn't caught, and then he gets exactly. pulled for it. And I don't know if it's Brandon Hyde in the clubhouse talking to Freddie Gonzalez and saying, hey, get these pitchers out of the game, or if it's... Freddie Gonzalez making the decisions on his own. But if it was Freddie Gonzalez making the decisions on his own, and I hate to say it, it's probably why he's not still managing. Right. I mean, I think Brandon Hyde does. I feel like he's still there in some capacity. Even though he's, he's thrown out of the game, he's still kind of relaying what they want to do. And I'm sure they kind of had a plan of who, you know, who the guys they want to have pitch that day, and then obviously the pitch count they want to bring him up to. They all kind of plan this out, you know, pre-game. But the decisions they did and, and taking the guys out when they did, like you mentioned, Harvey, Tate... It just wasn't smart. It did not seem like they gave the, the Orioles the chance to, to have the best chance to win. It, it just it, it felt really counterproductive to me. It, it, it really didn't make sense. Well, and so Sean, Sean Armstrong comes into the game, and the very first batter that he faces, first pitch, J.D. Martinez smacks a double. Yeah. And the next thing you know, the Orioles are, find themselves down 6-3. to three. They end up giving up a home run to Kike Hernandez in the top of the ninth uh, to go down 7-3. It was either the 8th or the ninth thing. Either way, it was a late run. The Orioles go down 7-3, and they don't score again. They, they lose the game 7-3. to three. And if you recall, in Jorge Lopez's first start, and he gets the ball tomorrow to finish off the series, in his first start against the Yankees, he pitched well. He gets into the fifth inning. He gets two outs, but around those two outs, there were three walks. After the third walk, which was to to Aaron Judge, they pull him from the game. Sean Armstrong gets brought in. His first game of the year coming off the paternity list. Walks Giancarlo Stanton. Not Giancarlo Stanton. Walks Aaron Hicks. And then gives up a 471-foot grand slam to Giancarlo Stanton. And the reason that we're rehashing this is because it's a problem. Right. It's all kind of a pattern between Orioles. It's not just one guy doing one thing. It's a pattern across the entire bullpen, across the entire starting rotation. They're walking too many guys. They're they're not throwing strikes when it matters in, in key spots. They're walking too many guys, but also in the last four games, the Orioles' bullpen has allowed eight inherited runners to score. Yeah. Eight. You're not going to win ball games if you're letting if you're letting eight inherited runners score from your bullpen. Well, I mean that's 
a starter can't allow an inherited runner to, to score. But your bullpen's coming into the game. It's not like they're coming into the game in the second inning. They're coming in the fifth. They're coming in the sixth, in the seventh. And they're allowing these late runs to score. And you, you just can't have it. And look, I'm, I'm not in the camp that says, hey, let's get rid of Sean Armstrong. No, for sure. You, you no. know, I, I've, I've never been a believer in Paul Fry. I've never been a believer in I Paul Fry. Either. And, and here's, here's why. In 2019, he got off to a really fast start. He pitched well towards the end of 2018, gets off to a fast start in 2019, but slowly but surely the, 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 the wheels start falling off for Paul Fry, and he ends the season with an ERA north of five. Then last year, in a shortened season, he has about a two-and-a-half ERA, which you can take, but again, it's a shortened season. He did the same thing in, the first, in his first 20 games in 2019. When do the wheels start falling off? Right? right. If he plays a 162-game season in 2020, do the wheels fall off again? The wheels certainly fell off in spring training, and they haven't gotten reattached here in the early going in 2021. <clears throat> Sean Armstrong, he's in the 97th percentile in spin rate. They're talking about his stuff being good enough for him to be a closer at the major league level. Can you turn me up just a little bit, my man? Thank you. Um, they're talking about his, his, his stuff being good enough for him to be a closer. I I've seen enough from him to know that he's going to get better. You know, and, and he's been good. I mean, he was a solid 2020 bullpen guy. He was yeah. he was a big part of that bullpen that was a top 10 bullpen. Only 14 appearances because of an injury. Only four right. So a limited limited sample Limit, size. Limited sample size wasn't great in 2019, but the stuff is there. You don't get that stuff from Paul Fry. Exactly. You, you know what I mean? And and uh, Paul, Paul Fry throws a lot of hittable pitches. He he's always out over the plate. He doesn't seem to have the deception that a lot of the 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 pitchers in the Orioles bullpen. You know, and the other problem with Paul Fry, I think, being a lefty, you have some disadvantages against right-handed hitters. The big power guys like Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, you know, a guy like JD Martinez. You have that disadvantage because they can see the ball so well out of lefties. And and that's where, I, without the deception on his pitches, he doesn't have a ton of break. He doesn't have a ton of movement. If you're lobbing in fastballs at 94, 95, which is what he was doing, you're not going to have a lot of success. And then if you start trying to you know nibble around the zone, then you're going to get into the problem where you're walking, guys. And that's what we've kind of seen. The Orioles are either putting balls out over the plate, not making great pitches, or just completely missing and, and walking a ton of guys. And neither are a recipe for success. Neither. You're, you're not going to win games doing either of those. Well, absolutely. And then you look at... Paul, uh, not Paul Fry. Well, his ERA is about five forty. Yeah, uh, because he doesn't get charged with a run in this past game because it was an inherited runner that scored. So that 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 run goes to Matt Harvey and undeservedly so. He did he right. he threw a pitch to get an out and it wasn't an out. Sean Armstrong's ERA is twenty seven in three appearances. Not he, good. Not, not good at all. Not good. Not good. You know, Jorge Lopez. Look, when Jorge Lopez comes into that game against the Yankees. Uh, uh, when he's in that game against the Yankees, he's got two outs in the fifth inning. He's walked the bases loaded. He walked the leadoff guy, got an out. Walked the next guy, got an out. Got uh, Then he walks the next guy. They pull him from the game. The next two batters were combined 0 for 4 with a, with a strikeout against him in the game. In, in Hicks and Stanton. It, you're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. Right? Because if you leave Lopez in and... He walks the next guy or he gives up a hit. You left him in too long. If you do what the Orioles did, you pull him. You bring in Sean Armstrong. He walks a guy and then gives up a grand slam. You pulled him too early. It's, it's, it's a lose-lose situation unless you get the out. You get the out. Right. Right? And, and they didn't. So we can look at it in, in hindsight being 2020. We can say, well, they should have left him in. 
they didn't bring in Sean Armstrong expecting him to walk a guy and give up a grand slam. But the fact of the, the fact remains, your job is to get people out. You're a reliever. Your job is to come in in those situations, especially if they look at you as a potential future closer. Your your job is to come in and get guys out in those situations. Sean Armstrong didn't do his job, and to a certain degree, Jorge Lopez didn't do his job because you walked three guys in the fifth right. inning. You know, you've got to start. The way I think about it sometimes is when you've got guys on first and second, and and you're gonna you know you're gonna put that third batter on by walking him again. You've just got to start throwing guys hit pitches to hit. You you can't keep throwing. I mean, you don't want to load the bases. That's that's completely counterproductive. You've got to trust your defense, and you've got to throw the best pitch you have and put it in the zone and see if they you know you you don't want to walk guys. Walking guys is a, is it's a recipe for disaster. It always mm-hmm. is. And 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 what you saw what happened. He gave up a you know Sean Armstrong comes in and gives up a grand slam. And that's just what happens when you walk too many guys. You've, you've got to throw strikes when it counts. You've got to throw it in the key moments. And the Orioles relievers aren't doing that right now, except Tanner Scott. Tanner Scott is in a whole and, other and world. Cesar Valdez. Cesar Valdez, of course, too, yes. Tanner Scott, Cesar, and Dylan Tate and is Dylan pitching, well. pitching well. And, and yeah. I'll tell you right now, Tyler Wells, I li- I, I've liked what I've seen from him. He gave up that home run to Kike Hernandez. That happens, right? But he's got what does he have? Like six strikeouts and two in the third innings. He, he's been impressive for sure he, and throwing strikes. Throw, you know, yeah. pounding the zone and that's important. And and, that, and that's a guy who of the two rule five picks, I think he's the one who's going to stick. But they both pitched well in their small sample sizes so far. <laughs> Scrolled through eight straight fastballs, to Aaron Judge, and struck him out with the bases loaded. That's yeah, insane. I guess the fastball really is deceptive, but uh, that was that was quite something to see. I guess. And, but we also had to realize there's no, and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. But there's there's no book. On either one of these yeah. pitchers, so that that's still one of those things. Now we're 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 giving a lot of a, a lot of guff to the Orioles pitching staff, and and to a certain extent, rightfully so. Look, the team ERA right now is four, so they're they're pitching well enough to win games for the most part. But let's not be mistaken by the fact that in the last three of the last four games, they've given up exactly seven runs. Three of the last four games, they've lost the game seven nothing, seven two, seven three. They won that game four three in extra innings against the Yankees. But look, you give up seven runs in a game, you're not going to win. It's not really giving your team a chance to win if the Orioles are hitting well, but and they're not. So, you know, you're not really giving your team a chance to win like that. And, and the starters, I, I feel they've been fine. I mean, I think Zimmerman was great the other day. Matt Harvey has been, you know, respectable. Harvey's been, been, been solid. He's been good. Um, Dean Kramer had a really bad outing. That really bad. That wasn't fun to watch. Uh, but, you know, Jorge Lopez, like you mentioned, he was fine. He, he he was really fine until he started walking those guys at the end of the outing. He was good. And it's like Rick Dempsey said, nothing good happens after a walk. Right. you got to throw strikes. And that's that's where the issue is with Dean Kramer. When the Orioles traded for him, he led the minor leagues in strikeouts. He's been a strikeout guy his entire career. But at the minor league level, guys will chase your pitches. At the major league level, that doesn't happen. Right. That doesn't happen. They're not getting fooled by a fastball at the major league level. That yeah. just generally doesn't happen. You, you've got to go out there and you've got to throw strikes. You've got to throw competitive pitches. The, the stuff that, that got you all those strikeouts in the minor leagues, it ain't going to work at the major league level. You have to learn how to pitch to major league hitters. And Dean Kramer Dean Kramer's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Nobody's worried that his career is going to be derailed after one start against the Yankees that, was, that wasn't great. But he needs to learn to throw strikes more consistently. This is what plagued him last year in his four starts. He would pitch five, six innings, but his pitch count would be up in the hundreds. Uh, he'd throw a lot of balls, get behind a lot of hitters before eventually getting them out. He's got the stuff to get major league hitters out. He loaded the bases in the first inning the other day and then got three straight outs. I think he struck out the side after that. So he he can pitch at this level. you got to throw strikes. Um, but look, again, it's not all on the pitching staff. They have four games of allowing three runs or less. That's good, 
right? That's more than half your games allowing three runs or less. The problem here is that the offense hasn't gotten started. And we're going to talk about this in Orioles banter after we get our first break. Again, because Stan the Fan Charles is not on the program today. He has a bar mitzvah. Um, but the Orioles struck out 13 times on the, in the home opener. Struck out 13 times. And it was a major league record fifth straight game with 13-plus strikeouts. They lead the major leagues with 91 strikeouts. Uh, only 16 walks, which is third worst in the major leagues. Look, the Orioles only had two base runners after Pedro Severino homered with one down in the fourth, and they saw just 72 pitches the rest of the game after Severino's home run. All three batters in the ninth inning struck out on a combined 10 pitches, including Ryan Mountcastle on a check swing where, from where I was sitting, it didn't look like he went around. And Zach, this is something you have an issue with. This, this is your sounding off segment for today. Uh, check swings. Ryan Mountcastle certainly didn't look like he went, but these umpires, sometimes it seems like they have an agenda. And I want you to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like all of a sudden, and I know that check swing appeals are nothing new, it, but it seems like this season I've noticed more than ever Guys, every catcher, every you know, whether it's the Red Sox, the Yankees, whatever, they're asking for a ridiculous amount of check swing appeals, and I think that's you know kind of the Orioles' fault in one way. I, I think the Orioles are, are check swinging way too much. I, I don't know what this is about, but it seems like guys like Malcastle, Mancini, like a, a lot of the better hitters who aren't going right now, they're second guessing themselves. They're check swinging. That's not going to work. Uh, check swinging is not something you want to do because it, it, generally it's going to be called a strike, and the Orioles are doing a ton of it. But it seems like to me every time the Orioles have any sort of check swing, whether they went around or not, it seems like it's being called a strike. Uh, you saw it with Malcastle the other day. You mentioned that. You were on the first base line. You would know. He definitely did not go. He wasn't even halfway around. There was no swing there from Ryan Malcastle, and that seems to be kind of the pattern. They're not swinging, and, and, and they're getting the calls against them. I don't know why this is. I have no clue. But the Orioles are getting a lot of calls against them, and they're getting a lot of strikes where they really shouldn't be. And, and, and that's the same thing at home plate umpires, too. They're, they're calling a lot of strikes on the Orioles where I feel like it should be a ball. It, it seems like there's a lot of inconsistency there. But I feel like, too, with all the tech that we have in baseball now, there, there's track, man. There's all these cameras everywhere. We should be actually re reviewing some of these check swings. You know, it, it can change a whole lot bad. It, it, it's, guys are striking out because they're check swinging. You know, Austin Hayes does it a ton. Ryan Malcastle does it a considerable, you know, considerable bit. It's going to start chipping away at these guys' production because they're striking out on these swings that aren't actually swings. Now, I know that, you know, going around is kind of subjective. If you're swinging, it's a little bit subjective. Every umpire is going to look at it a bit differently. But it seems like to me... There should be some tech that we can actually review this on and, and make sure that we're actually making the right call because the judgment of one guy I don't think should, should define a whole lot bad. I, I think it's just kind of, it's not really making a lot of sense and the Orioles are, are having everyone seemingly go not their way right now. And I don't know why that is. Well, and, and some of them are reasonable. You look at sure. there, you look at Rio Ruiz the other day. You look at how Brandon High got ejected from the game. Rio Ruiz offers at a pitch that hits him um, and doesn't get awarded first base. It's called a strike. Brandon High comes out of, out of the dugout livid and gets tossed from the game in the home opener. Um, and then they showed the replay. He swung. Rio Ruiz, he swung. And it wasn't a swing trying to get out of the way. He broke the wrist. The bat went above... He got hit after the bat broke the plane. So that... I don't love that rule, but that was fine. That, don't that, don't, don't that. love the rule, but the, it's the rule. He offered at the pitch. It wasn't a full swing, 
but it was the same thing as a check swing that gets called a strike. And it, he, he, his bat did break the plane. Hyde got ejected, rightfully so, because you want to argue because your guy just got hit by a pitch and the umpire didn't let him go to first base. Exactly. But it was Rio's fault. Rio didn't. Right. The pitch was, was a foot inside. Why are you offering it the pitch? Ryan Mountcastle did not swing. This, right. and this stuff should be reviewable. You look at Michael Conforto got hit by a pitch for the Mets Perfect with the bases example. loaded to walk off. It was a walk-off hit by pitch. You look at the replay, that pitch was a strike. Exactly. It caught white of the plate. Conforto leaned his yeah, elbow he, in he, and he got... He leaned into it. And he got grazed, and you can't review that. Why are we not reviewing these calls? That it needs just, to be reviewable. It doesn't make sense to me. Why are we not reviewing this? You know, managers have challenges for a reason. And that, that 100% was the difference in the game. It changed the game because the Mets got a win on a pitch that would have been called a strike if he just stood there. Uh, so this stuff needs to be reviewable. It's the same thing with robot umpires. Do we do we want to go in that direction? No. But if you have CB Buckner and Angel Hernandez out here making terrible call after yeah, terrible right. call after terrible call, something's got to be done. Exactly. Something's got to be done. Look, we got to get a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about this Orioles uh, offense at length because it's been bad and it needs to get better if they want to win some games. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. It takes time to get rich, flavorful coffee beans from the lush mountain regions of Colombia and Brazil to Royal Farms. But less than a minute to get yourself a delicious hot cup of the finest and freshest coffee in the world. Because Royal Farms' new Swiss-made coffee machines grind those rich, flavorful coffee beans and brew them one magnificent cup at a time. It's why Royal Farms makes the freshest and best coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. At Glory Days Grill, they have great food and good sports. Glory Days Grill is a sports-themed family restaurant with 39 restaurants up and down the East Coast. Watch all of the games on a ton of TVs, and each table has its own wireless speaker so you can tune in to whatever game it is you're watching. Find out more about what's happening at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill right now by going to glorydaysgrill.com. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate y'all. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. He is Kevin Zeitler. Uh, thank you. Very happy to be a part of this. Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot. Good to be with you. Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Quarterback for the University of Maryland, Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He he is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Glenn and Kyle, two diaper dandies. He is Mr. Kyle Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now on the cover. A lengthy Q. 
Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college lacrosse feature, introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of the area schools. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the Battle Round. Normally we would have Stan the Fan Charles on right now, but again, Stan is not available for a bar mitzvah this week. But if you uh, are missing your Stan fix, Stan the Fan Charles has two great shows for you every week. And like everything else in the world, they're happening over Zoom. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with new Orioles Hall of Famer Mike Devereaux. Find the show under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com. Not quite sure as of yet who Stan's guest is on Monday. Um, That's TBD. Uh, But Stan's weekly shows are brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Find them at c3america.com. Call C3 American Exteriors to get roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. Call C3 at 410-401-9797. That's 410-401-9797. Or go to C3America.com for a free analysis. Every time I read that number, I, I, I go back and forth between 410 and 410. Uh, every week it's different. Uh, just random thoughts, uh, lowered expectations with Jack Handy from uh, from uh, Mad TV or whatever it was back in the 90s, uh, showing my age right now. I am Paul Valley. This is the Bat Around, coming to you from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. And before the break, Zach, we were getting into the Orioles offense. <clears throat> and it has been it has been bad. Okay, it, it, yeah. it, It's been bad. They've scored more than four runs once all season, and that was last Sunday. Um, in the 11-3 victory over the Red Sox, Bruce Zimmerman went six innings. Garrett Richards gave up six runs and two innings on seven hits. That's the matchup today. It's uh, Zimmerman versus Garrett Richards. The Orioles have six everyday players batting below 240. Six. Freddie Galvis, Trey Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, and Rio Ruiz have all struck out at least 10 times. They lead the majors with 91 strikeouts. They've walked just 16 times, third fewest in the league. The team is slashing. Oh, God, this is so gross. They're slashing 219, 265, 324. That's a 219 team batting average, a 265 team on base percentage, and a 324 team slugging percentage. 324 team slugging percentage. That's problematic. For it's, sure, you're not gonna they, win, you're not gonna win many games like that, dude. They've been so bad; it's almost insufferable to watch. It, it really is Im- impossible to to fathom the, the, how much they're striking out right and, now. And five straight games with yeah. 13 plus strikeouts a major league record. Major league record, right? And five hits or fewer in three of the last four games after collecting 34 hits in the first three games of the year. Only Cedric Mullins and Pedro Severino have an OPS above 605. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the hitters are going to get going eventually. I, I think a guy like Ryan Malcastle, a guy like Trey Mancini, they're too good to not get going at some point. But right now, while they're slumping, and the, really the whole team is, you've got guys like Franco Galvis, you know, some of your bigger, better bats 
are not doing anything, and it's it, it's impossible to watch right now. It is so bad. They well, are, well, look, uh, the combination of Trey Mancini, Anthony Santander, Ryan Mountcastle, uh, Michael Franco, and Freddie Galvis. All guys who you expect to hit more than 20 home runs. Exactly. That combination of five players has two home runs. Right. They have two home runs. All right, Trey, Trey Mancini struck out 10 times this year. He struck out eight times in the last four games. I think he has one hit, two hits in those four games. Look, he's clearly pressing. He's clearly putting a lot of a lot of this team on his shoulders. He feels like, I'm Trey Mancini. I'm, uh, and he's not an arrogant guy. No, not he, at all. He's not that guy, right? But I'm sure that he feels like this is a big story. Right. I need to come out and prove that this isn't going to impact me, that I can do this. And he's struggling, chasing a lot of pitches. I was going to say, as far as the chasing goes, I think there's a really big reluctance as far as pitching goes to throw him fastballs. I don't think anyone wants to give Trey Mancini a fastball because they know what he's going to do with it. You throw Trey Mancini a curveball and a slider, he's been looking really off balance against those pitches. And that goes for Ryan Malcastle, that goes for Franco, that goes for really any of the guys not hitting. There's a reluctance to throw the Orioles fastballs. And that's I think that's a big part of it. Well, and the the the, the good news is all of these guys are struggling at the same time. So there's a good chance that they're all going to get hot at the same time. And that time. could be a really dangerous. I mean, th- this is a dangerous lineup when well, they're and, all hot. And this lineup is the reason that I said the Orioles are going to win 72 games this year. Now, right. look, 72 games is not a lot of games. But it's a lot It's a lot of games when you consider that this team in their last two full seasons have lost a combined 223 games. And won 47 a few years ago. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. that would certainly be 72 it. wins would be is a big deal for a rebuilding ball club that might be a year or two away from really getting back into competitive contention. Um, the other thing is, Austin Hayes is hurt. It took him, he was their best player all spring. Right. It took him three games to get hurt again. A, a guy you count on, a guy you need out there every day because of his bat, because of his arm, because of his fielding stat. He, he's a great player. He was never on the field. And, and, and you're looking at this, and now because of that, Ryan McKenna, and God love Ryan McKenna. Great defense, arguably the, the yeah. best defensive outfielder in the system, which says a lot when you have Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins on your team. Love the glove. The bat's not ready. The bat's not major league ready. He's never played above double A, and, and in double A, it's not like he tore the cover off the ball. Right. He, was, he, he was fine. He was fin- he wasn't even fine. He was yeah. he was mediocre at best uh, at double A. He tore the cover off the ball at Frederick. Right. Hit three seventy seven with twenty home runs at Frederick. He moves up to double A and he struggled since he got moved up to double A. But Austin Hayes, the, a guy that you count on, how much longer can you count on him? It's a tough decision. I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but the Orioles have a big log jam right now. They do. They they have you know only three outfield spots. They have a DH spot for a lot of outfielders. You've got DJ Stewart, who's looking like he's going to come off the injured list. You've got guys like Houston L. Diaz waiting in the wings. Heston Kerstad isn't that far away. And then you have everything at the major league level, like Mullins, um, you know, like Hayes, like Mountcastle. It's a log jam right now. I don't know. I, they need Hayes. They need Hayes to stay healthy. They need him to be in that lineup, especially right now when there's no one hitting. You need another guy who's not just a defensive outfielder. You need to have the bat, too. I don't think the Orioles can give up on Austin Hayes. I don't think they ever can. because well, They're not going he, to. He's too talented. 
But at some point, you have to start thinking, okay, here's the replacement. Here's what we're going to have to do because if he's never on the field, he's not going to be hitting for you. So it's you've got to start kind of considering what your options are. Well, and it's early enough in the season. If Austin Hayes misses 10 games and he comes back and ends up playing 145 games this great, year great. and he hits 280 with 22 home runs, okay, you can count on this guy. He just played 145 games of productive baseball. Exactly. But he's got to prove that he can do it. He's got to right. come back and then stay healthy the rest of the year. I mean, is there any really conf- is there any confidence you have that Austin Hayes is going to play 145 no. games? No, I, because I, he I don't ha- at all. He hasn't done it since 2017, right? Or, or right. 2016. He hasn't, yeah, pl- 2017. he hasn't played a full season. He he, he just, you know whether it's luck, whether it's maybe being a little bit fragile. I don't know what the case is, but he hasn't played a full season. Well, let, let's look at his injuries. You look in 2018. He changed his workout regimen because he got he got it in his mind that he had to have more power. At the major league level. This is a guy who hit 30, <laughs> right. 34, 32 home runs, 34 home runs in the minors in 2017. They got a call up to the major league level. Thought he needed more power. Put, tried to put on more muscle. Ends up hurting his shoulder. Misses the start of the year. He could have broken camp with the Orioles as their center fielder. Instead, he gets hurt. Spends the entire year in the minors. 2019 has a great spring. The Orioles send him down. They said he needs a little bit more seasoning. He At, at, at Twin Lakes Park, in a, in a spring game, slides into second base. Breaks his thumb, sprains his thumb, hurts his thumb, misses significant time, doesn't get the call up till late in the year, then plays with his hair on fire like we saw all spring in, in September. Then last year, gets hit, and, and through no fault of his own, gets hit by a pitch, breaks a rib, misses 20-some-odd games, comes back, and looks like the player that we saw at the end of 2019. When the guy is on the field, he's a difference maker. Got to stay on the field. I keep saying it, but overall, he might be the most talented player on the Orioles roster. He is, but if he's not on the field, that doesn't help you. Well, and you look at how he hurt himself. It's in that drubbing of the Red Sox last Sunday where he hits a double. It's a surefire double. Right, he crushes it. Surefire double, and he's sprinting, which great. Love it. Plays hard, goes all out. Play hard, right? But you're already up by a ton of runs. It's a seven-run inning. It's probably the fourth or fifth run of the inning at this point. You don't need to sprint in the second base. You're not getting the third. You know, the, pull up a little bit. And he pulled up because he hurt the hamstring, took himself out of the game, and now he's on the injured list. He was hustling in a, at a time. And look, and Ross Grimsley and I kind of got into it a little bit on Twitter the other night because he was he was complaining that the Orioles don't run things out. And I said, I beg to differ because Ryan Mountcastle is laying out infield hits. Cedric Mullins is is sprinting down the line on a ground ball. Severino has been running everything out. Severino is running everything out. Mancini runs everything out. But Mike Alfranco hit a ground ball back to the pitcher, and he didn't run it out. And I said, look, I can excuse that. It's a ground ball back to the pitcher. Now, when the ball bounces off the pitcher 15 feet away from him, you better be running. Sprint. And he didn't. And he gets thrown out on a play that he shouldn't have been thrown out on. So I, I, I understand that. But there's times when you don't need the hustle. On a surefire double, that there's no chance of it not being a double. Just jog, In, in a big inning, just jog. Yeah, you, just, it, just, just get there. There's no reason to play all out on a double that you know you're going to get to second base. You're, yeah. not, you're not David Ortiz where you can barely, you know, barely get to second base in time on a surefire. You're Austin Hayes. You can jog and run faster than a lot of the players in this league. Right. And that's all you need to do. Right. And that's really and, and, all you need. And we talked about this. Bryce Harper... He started his career very similarly, running face first in the wall. It's getting so so angry after a strikeout that he smashes his bat up against the wall, bounces right. back, and hits him in the face. You have that grit. You have that determination. You have that fire, and we love it. We, we want our players to play like that. But there's a time and a place. If it's a ball in the gap that the, that the left fielder fields running Go. away from himself on a hop 
and you think you can make it a second, hustle. Right. If you hurt your hamstring on that, all right, man, I, I can respect that. And it's not that I don't respect the play. You Slow it up a little bit. You don't need right. to be Johnny Hustle on that play. And the Orioles' offense has not been good since Austin Hayes left the lineup. You mentioned DJ Stewart. Pat Vilek has been reassigned to the alternate training site. You have to imagine that's because uh, DJ Stewart is coming off the injury list probably today. And there's probably no guy that makes more sense to send down than Pat Vileka based on the fact that he's off to a slow start. He didn't have a great spring. And DJ Stewart's a better player. Let's be, yeah, yeah, let's D- be honest. D- DJ Stewart's going to get on base at a 360 clip if his average is below 250. Right. Uh, so, and he's got, he's got the power. Look, he might not have a position either. He's. I like DJ Stewart. Let me preface this by saying that he's the Orioles' worst outfielder. And that, oh, that yeah. and that includes Ryan Mountcastle. Now, look, he might be a better outfielder than Ryan Mountcastle, but we're going off what we've seen. We've watched him slide for a ball and have it bounce off his head. We've watched him sp- at full sprint get up, catch up to a ball down the right field line and have it bounce off his glove. He hasn't proven that he can play a solid outfield at the major league level. But the bat plays. He's a former first round pick. He's now twenty seven years old. It's time for him to have his coming out party. Uh, Michael I said he thinks that DJ Stewart's going to be his breakout player this year. I agree, and especially while Austin Hayes is on the injured list, you've got room. You've you've got room to play him in left field. You've got you know DH wherever you, you want to put. You can DH him. So, him. Right. You can DH him. Right. Um, you can get maybe Trey Mancini some time off, although he's going to be in the starting lineup for the next few days because he, they had the day off yesterday. But this is an opportunity for DJ Stewart to come up and place himself in this order. I think he's the perfect number two hitter because he's got sneaky speed. He can hit the ball to all fields. He's got great on-base capabilities. This is a perfect opportunity for him to seize that number two spot in the order. I would not be surprised to see that lineup come out, come out today and have DJ Stewart batting second. For sure. we got to get Sean McAdam, uh, beat writer and columnist for the Boston Journal, on the line. So Zach's going to do that. Um, we're going to talk to him about this Orioles series with the Red Sox and how these two teams are kind of going in different directions. Now, the Orioles swept the Red Sox um, three straight in Boston to open the season, and a lot of people are saying, are the Orioles good or are the Red Sox that bad? And I thought, I, think it's, I don't think it's either one. I think that the Orioles played a good series. I think the Red Sox came out a little slow, but I think the Red Sox are a better team. I think that their starting pitching, especially when Chris Sale comes back, is going to be, is going to be fairly good. I think that their bullpen is better than last year. I think that lineup can compete with any lineup in baseball, especially with J.D. Martinez tearing the cover off the ball to start the year. Look, look, the Red Sox are a good team. They've won four straight. The Orioles, after sweeping that series, have lost three of four. Now we have, from the Boston Journal, beat writer and columnist for the Red Sox, Sean McAdam on the line. Sean, how are you this morning? I'm well, guys. How are you? We're doing well. Thanks for joining the program. You joined us back in November, so we're happy to have you back on the program today. Nice to be back. Look, we were just talking about the Red Sox. They suffered that season opening sweep at the hands of the Orioles before winning their next four games, including a sweep of the AL champion Rays. Sean, what happened in that first series? The the Red Sox looked lifeless against the Orioles. Yeah, I mean, really nothing went right for those first three games. Uh, they did not hit in any of them. They scored a total of five runs in that series. Uh, they had a couple of defensive meltdowns on opening day and then again uh, in the second game. And in the third game, uh, you know, they were down 10 nothing by the second or third inning. Garrett Richards had a brutal first start, uh, his first of his Red Sox career. 
And so it was a little bit of everything, and it just seemed like it snowballed a little bit from the Red Sox. They they lost the opener, and then things went downhill quickly. And, you know, last Sunday night, people were debating, uh, you know, how, where the bottom was going to be for this team after dropping three in a row to, to Baltimore to start things. But <clears throat> to their credit, they got it turned around pretty quickly, and all the things they didn't do against the Orioles last weekend, they did against Tampa Bay, uh, a pretty good team, obviously, coming in even reduced after the loss of uh, Snell and Morton, but the defending American League champions nonetheless. Um, and so for the last four games, it's been a little bit of everything. Just as there, nothing went right last weekend, um, everything has gone right since. They've hit. They've had good situational hitting. Uh, the defense has cleaned up. I think they've made just one error in the last five games. And the starting pitching has kept them in every game. That Richard start last Sunday is really the only bad one through the first seven games. Well, yeah, and you mentioned that they've started hitting. J.D. Martinez is off to a scorching start after a, 20, a tough 2020 season. I think he hit around 250, minimal power in that truncated season. But this year he's already hitting over 400, driving in a ton of runs. Have you seen a different approach from him at the plate as opposed to last year? And what does his resurgence mean for this lineup? Yeah, I'll take the second one first because that's obvious. It's huge. Um, You know, he's the guy that kind of anchors that batting order, whether he's hitting third or fourth. Uh, He's the experienced right-handed run-producing hitter that that lineup sort of in the offense revolves around. And you're right, last year he was a shell of himself. His slugging percentage was actually below 400, which seems inconceivable for a hitter of J.D. Martinez's history and accomplishments. Um, It's probably a couple of things. One, he made no secret last year that the inability to use in-game video to check on his swing, and he's, he's really a student of hitting. And because of some COVID protocol last year where there was no access to in-game video, he couldn't diagnose the swing, couldn't make in-game adjustments. Um, That's probably a little overstated, but it's kind of a security blanket for Martinez and always had been. And without that, he really was kind of lost. And and I think um, in conjunction with that, he got into some bad habits at the plate And as he said, at the end of the season and again in the offseason, he would start to try to make adjustments to rid himself of some bad habits. And because he couldn't check on what he was doing in-game, it would take a game or two to determine whether what he had done was working. And then when it wasn't, he had to try something else. And he just kind of spiraled and never was able to get out of that hole. But uh, he did a lot of work on his swing in the off season and the ability to consult an iPad uh, in between at bats this year has really been uh, something that's been very helpful for him. Sean, if we're talking about that Orioles series, Tanner Houck is a guy who came out and did pretty well. He, you know, he pitched a few good innings against the Orioles. The Orioles ended up roughing him up a little bit in the end, but he got sent down to the alternate training site a few days after the, the Red Sox-Orioles series. Why was Tanner Houck sent down? When can, can we expect to, to have him back in the major leagues? Yeah, I, I mean, it's really more of a numbers thing. Uh, he got forced out, I guess, because of some 
um, roster machinations. Um, you know, they've got commitments to some more established guys in particular. I, I, you know, if you're looking at this rotation, you would say Nick Pavetta is kind of the guy who, who fits the number five category. Um, maybe the guy at the back end of the rotation, a guy they got from Philadelphia at the trade deadline and the deal that sent Workman and Hembry to the Phillies last August, and a guy they really like and have done some work with, and he's out of options. Um, so it's a matter, you know, it's a matter of just controlling your assets at this point, right? If you option uh, or attempt to send Pavetta back to the alternate site, you have to expose him to waivers and you risk losing him. Meanwhile, Hauk has plenty of options left, so you can have him go back and forth. And frankly, um, as good as Hauk has been through four major league starts in his career, dating back to last September, uh, the Red Sox see him still as a uh, as kind of a, a, a project still, or you know, in um, a work in progress. Uh, they wanted him to develop a third pitch splitter uh, to keep left-handed hitters honest. Lefties have given him a lot of difficulty in his minor league career, but they've added that into his uh, repertoire last summer at the alternate site. He's made strides with it, but it's still not uh, a reliably consistent major league pitch for his third pitch. So, I mean, he, look, he's the first call if there's either injury or underperformance in that rotation. And I have no doubt he's going to be wearing a path between Worcester and Boston uh, for much of the year, anytime they need a spot starter, anytime there's a double header, anytime there's somebody who needs some, uh, an extra day, Hauk is the guy that they'll go to. But being relatively young and, again, taking a look at the rest of the roster options and the options that players have to protect everybody, uh, he's kind of the odd guy out right now. Well, and you mentioned Nick uh, Nick Pavetta, who in 91 games with the Phillies, had a five-and-a-half ERA for his career. He comes over to the Red Sox. He's made three three starts for them uh, since that trade last year, and he's pitching to an ERA of 1-2. Um, have the Red Sox figured him out? Do they, have they figured out how to make him the most productive version of himself? Um, or is this just a, a, a fast start, and we're kind of seeing him kind of revert back a little bit? Yeah, I, I mean, look, small sample size, the right, ultimate right. small sample size. But um, they have done two things with him. One, they have settled on him being a starter, which the Phillies had not. Uh, he was working out of the bullpen in the latter half of his time with Philadelphia. Uh, he does not think that's the best use of his uh, skill set and what he does well, and he wants to start when the Red Sox traded for him, even though they sent him to the alternate site rather than bring him to the big leagues, as you might expect for a team that was really struggling last year in the pitching department. You know, the, the reaction around here was, you know, if this guy's so good, how come he can't beat out, you know, the number of 4A guys that are clogging up the rotation here? But they wanted to work with him and get him straight. And frankly, there was also some uh, some service time manipulation there. Uh, and they brought him up with a couple of weeks left. So one is just committing to him being a starter and not a guy out of the bullpen. Second is to emphasize the slider more, which is something the Phillies had not his primary breaking pitch when he was in Philadelphia was his curveball. The Red Sox thought the slider was a better option. They've urged him to throw it, and he's thrown it a ton. Uh, it was almost 40%, I think, in, uh, in his last start. Um, and so, you know, improve confidence, knowing that the organization sees you as a starter, as you see yourself, and also a little, uh, you know, 
updating on his pitch mix. Well, and certainly, and the guy that he's throwing to more often than not is Christian Vasquez. And Christian Vasquez is having a a great start to the year, just like J.D. Martinez. Uh, He had back-to-back solid seasons in 2019 and 2020. Where does Vasquez stand amongst the best catchers in baseball? Because nobody really, nobody outside of Boston seems to talk about him a lot, but he's putting together a solid career. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. It's kind of difficult to be underrated as a Red Sox player because the team always is in the spotlight for good or bad. Uh, There's a lot of media attention on the team. Until last year, they were, you know, a consistent contender for the previous four or five seasons, lots of national TV exposure, all of that. And yet Vasquez, I think, is somehow underrated. Uh, I thought I saw a graphic the other day that starting in 2019 – so for the last two-plus seasons, may have even gone back to 2018, that Vasquez has uh, the highest war of any American League catcher. And he had always been pretty strong defensively as a receiver, as a uh, framer, as a pitch blocker, and certainly as someone in terms of arm strength. Uh, the Red Sox would, would put up his arm strength against just about any catcher in the game. Um, But for a long time, he was kind of inconsistent offensively. That's changed the last couple of years where he's been around 800 with his OPS. And he's even, um, you know, flashed some power, even though it's been kind of in spurts. He tends to hit his home runs, you know, he'll hit three and uh, five or six days and then go a couple of weeks without hitting another one. But um, he, he, he has developed into a more consistent hitter. He drives the ball better. Uh, he started to use the whole field a little bit more the last couple of years. And, um, you know, uh, he, he really has emerged. Uh, I don't know if I'd necessarily call him the best catcher in the American League, but, you know, other than Real Muto and maybe one or two others, uh, you know, you would put him in the top uh, five or six catchers in the game at this point if you're evaluating offense and defense. Well, yeah, he's certainly in the conversation, and right now he's currently hitting in the middle of that, that Red Sox order. And on Thursday, the two through five hitters in the Red Sox lineup accounted for nine of the Red Sox 12 hits, and they scored six of the team's seven runs. Rafael Devers and, uh, and Alex Verdugo both had really nice games. Is that the game that we kind of see their seasons kind of get jump-started? Because they were off to slow starts until Thursday. Yeah, I mean, it's a strong offensive team. Uh, Any offense that's got Bogarts, Devers, and Martinez, and throw Vasquez in there as your kind of two through four or five hitters uh, is pretty strong. Um, They're still trying to figure out the top of the order with Kike Hernandez being given a chance to win the leadoff spot. He homered the other day, of course. Uh, But the interesting part is the bottom half, where you have a lot of kind of swing and miss candidates, guys like... Um, Franchi Cordero, Hunter Renfro, and the rookie at first base, Bobby Dahlbeck, all have plus power, um, all have the ability to hit the ball out of any ballpark when they connect, but the problem has been regular, consistent contact. And uh, I, I think what they're trying to get out of the bottom of the order is the knowledge that, yeah, there are times when it's okay, as, as Alex Cora has said, to swing away here and and try to hit the long ball, but there have to be times when contact is is what is being stressed and focused, uh, and put the ball in play. Um, you know, 
maybe I, we're not talking about small ball and, and hitting behind the runner and hitting balls to the right side to move runners over, but just the ability to maybe shorten up on the swing a little bit, be a little more discerning when it comes to the strike zone and find ways to score runs other than the long ball in the bottom half of that lineup. Now, you mentioned Kike Hernandez, and he's obviously a new addition for the Red Sox this year, and he's been playing a lot. You know, he's a, he's a guy who's been playing kind of a few different positions, you know, always kind of viewed as a super utility type for the Dodgers. But what do the Red Sox expect out of him in 162 games? Is this a guy who's really going to move around everywhere, or do you find him kind of, you know, kind of taking one position and running with that for the rest of the season? Um, I think that's still to be determined. Uh, he's, he's already moved around through the first seven games. Uh, nominally, you would look at him as their starting second baseman, but I think he's only started um, maybe four of the seven games at second, and uh, the other starts have come in the outfield, mostly in center field. Excuse me. Um, he can do both. He's probably a plus defender at both positions. Um, they have some other options at both. They've used the Verdugo in center. But there are times when they don't want Renfro in the lineup against a tough righty. So Verdugo goes back to right, and Hernandez starts in center. And they use someone like Christian Arroyo, as they did the other day, at second base. I think they're still trying to figure out you know, the best, um, the best mix here and trying a number of different lineups early in the season, depending on pitching matchups and other factors. Uh, it's also hard to get into a rhythm early, right? You've got scheduled off days. You've got a rain out uh, last week on the opener. So, you know, you, you've got a, a ton of day games early. Uh, so I think that, um, as a lot of managers do, Alex Gore is trying to get a lot of guys involved early. The, the hardest thing some managers talk about is you come out of spring training where everyone's been utilized a lot and playing different positions and playing nearly every day. And you get into a season, if you have kind of a set lineup, you've got three or four bench guys who are not getting at-bats and they fall out of rhythm. So um, if he's using Arroyo more now than he will when things get underway and, and we're, we're kind of into the rhythm of the season, then we'll find out about that. But for now, Hernandez, they see as a guy that, uh, you know, they, they like his offensive dynamic at the top of the lineup, even though he hasn't hit there a lot. He has the ability to drive the ball, hit that home run the other day late in the game to give a little more insurance. As I said, I think he's probably a plus defender in both center and second. So both those are two important positions up the middle where you want solid defense. Uh, and they also like, you know, this guy's been part of a winning organization for a long time with the Dodgers. Uh, you know, he won six division titles in a row and went to three World Series out there. So I, I think that um, gives him a little bit of a, a, a leadership uh, advantage as a new guy in the clubhouse, and that's another thing that attracted them to him. Well, and the thing about Kike Hernandez, I kind of look at him in the similar vein of um, Ben Zobrist, where his p best position is probably second base, but mm -hmm. you can move him anywhere on the field, and you don't really have to worry about him. And you can't undervalue that versatility in a player. And I think that you don't want to pigeonhole somebody like that into a, into one position because they're so valuable all over the field to you that you can put them wherever you need to, and you can just kind of set it and forget it type, yeah, type I, of situation. Yeah, I think that's a very good comparison to, to Zobrist. And, uh, 
and it may well be, you know, that 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 is how they view him. Uh, as I said, they know that no matter which of the two spots he's at, he's going to be uh, providing uh, better than average defense at both. Um, it, it allows for some in-game moves. Uh, in games in which he started in center, he has sometimes moved to second late in games when they're ahead. Uh, so you've got both with Hernandez and Marwin Gonzalez, two guys that can play all over the field. Um, in Gonzalez, you have a switch hitter, so that helps when you're trying to determine matchups. And a couple of veteran guys who have been part of winning organizations, uh, Kike with the Dodgers, as we noted, and Gonzalez uh, was part of the Astros in uh, 2017 and 18, and then the Twins in 19 and 20, who won, uh, although their postseason struggles are well documented, they did win two division titles there. So um, just the ability to have a lot of flexibility. You guys know how much managers value that in the modern game. The Red Sox have a 14-man pitching staff now, that allows for 12 position players, which means when you take the second catcher out of the mix, you've got really two bench players uh, available to you. Well, they better be guys that can move around a little bit, because if not, you're going to be caught short at some point. And both Gonzalez, I mean, Hernandez is going to be in the starting lineup, you know, nine times out of 10. So it's right. not like he's going to be part of that bench rotation. But just having a lot of versatile players who are comfortable moving around not only can handle the different positions, but are guys that are okay with being moved around. Some guys find that unsettling. These two don't. Um, that gives Alex Cora a lot of options at his disposal. Um, we have Sean McAdam from the Boston Journal joining us in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio on our studio line. And Sean, I, I actually picked the Red Sox to finish ahead of the Blue Jays this year because I think that their offense is good, and I think once that starting rotation gets fully healthy and gets back to where they need to be, I think they made enough adjustments in that bullpen that they're going to win a lot of games, but they have to get that health. And one of those big steps was getting Eduardo Rodriguez back on the mound. He suffered from myocarditis from about with COVID last year that caused him to miss the season. He ended up opting out. Um he comes back, he has arm fatigue to start this year, misses that opening day start that ended up going to Nathan Navaldi. But then he comes out and he pitches well enough to win against the Orioles. This is a guy who won, what was it, 32 games with a 3-8-1 ERA in uh, 2018 and 2019 combined. How important is is he to this Red Sox rotation? And do you see him bouncing back to that guy that he was those two seasons? He's hugely important. Um, you know, he's particularly with Chris Sale still coming back from Tommy John. There's no question that Rodriguez is their best and most accomplished starting pitcher. Um, you know, on a good team, on a really good team, he's probably a very, very good number two. Here he's elevated really to number one in the absence of anybody else to take that mantle. But, uh, you know, as you noted, uh, this guy's been one of the, better left-handed starters in the game the last few years. Not last year because he missed it, but in 18 and 19, you know, he, he was on the verge of winning 20 games in that final game of the season against the Orioles and couldn't nail it down. But he finally got over 200 innings. He had over 200 strikeouts. And really, health has been the thing that held him back earlier. He had this kind of trick knee thing that dated back to his time with the Orioles that he finally got surgically repaired a few off-seasons ago. Uh, that seemed to cost him uh, a, a, 
an IL stint almost every season. That's behind him. Um, but it's been stuff like last year, you know, the COVID and the myocarditis. Uh, this spring, it was a dead arm, which took him out of the opening day assignment. But if they can get close to, you know, 27 to 30 starts from him, keep him on the mound, he's a guy that you expect to win 15-plus games for you and and be a workhorse and rack up 200 innings. And on a, in a rotation where you've got Pavetta still trying to break through, you've got Perez as kind of a journeyman guy who's bounced around, um, Garrett Richards and Evaldi, both of whom have had long, um, durability issues in their career. They need uh, Rodriguez to be the guy who kind of sets the pace at the top of that rotation. Well, I'm glad you brought up Garrett Richards because he was he was a phenomenal young starter with the Angels, won a ton of games between the 2014 and 2015 seasons. He looked like an up-and-coming Cy Young candidate, and then he gets hurt, and his, his career kind of gets derailed. Had a nice bounce-back year with a 401 ERA with the Padres last year, but then he comes out in his first start with the Red Sox, brought in to solidify this rotation, and he gets absolutely lit up. Now, some of that was defense that kind of caused him to have to stay in the game a little bit longer uh, in those first and second innings. How long is Garrett Richards' leash? He gets he gets the ball today against Bruce Zimmerman. Uh, how long is his leash? Do the Red Sox think that that was just an anomaly and hope kind of bounce back into form? Yeah, I, I think they are just chalking that up to a bad start. It happens, and it's the kind of outing that if you have in June or July, um, it's not good, but nobody is wondering about what it portends for the entire season right. or gets everybody in a panic because it's not happening at the start of the year. When it does happen, uh, you're under the microscope a little bit because it's the you know third game of the season. Look, they spent $10 million on this guy. Um, I, I don't see them pulling the plug after two or three bad starts, but clearly they're expecting a lot better than they got last week. Um, and I, I think further, he didn't help himself by... Um, trying to argue that he was the victim of some uh, bad luck out there with balls through the shifts and, you know, a couple of pitches that could have gone either way on some walks. It was not a good outing. And trying to suggest otherwise is probably not the best approach when you're new to a team right. and new to a, new to a city. Um, you know, take your lumps, say it wasn't your best day and that, you know, it's, it's kind of behind you. Uh, but by trying to excuse what was undoubtedly a really poor outing, I, I think he further buried himself a little bit. But as I said, they've committed $10 million to this guy. They've got an option for another $10 million next year if they want to pick that up. They clearly um, like a lot of the um, analytics with him in terms of spin rate. They're convinced he's healthy. Uh, enough years now removed from Tommy John. And, you know, uh, if you go back six or seven years uh, in Anaheim, which is a long time, admittedly, uh, this guy had kind of elite stuff and, you know, was a very good number two or number three starter. 
that's what they think they have again, but it surely has to be better than it was last Sunday. Well, and it's certainly up to him to get himself back into that role for them. And, you know, he, he, he can do it. Like I said, he pitched fairly well for the Padres last year. They just, with that super rotation, there just wasn't a spot for him. And so the Red Sox jumped all over him. Now, before we let you go, Sean, you briefly mentioned Chris Sale a little bit ago. Uh, this is kind of a couple-part question. One, is he still on track for a midseason return? Two, can the Red Sox keep pace until he returns? And three, is this team a playoff contender if they're still treading water when he gets back to this team in the middle of the season? Um, again, I'll take that last one first, and I think yes. If they're hanging around above 500 and you get to inject Chris Sale into your rotation on whatever, August 1st, after the All-Star break, um, then that's a pretty nice uh, booster shot for a team that is hanging around. But uh, his timetable has been thrown off by a couple of setbacks over the offseason. He had a neck injury uh, over the year, uh, over the winter, that slowed his progression. And then he also had a case of COVID in January, which further slowed his rehab down a little bit. So, you know, the 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 thought or the hope that he might be back by, say, early June or mid-June, I think that's off the table. In fact, I think it's it's unlikely we see him before the break at this point. You know, the 12 to 15-month timetable, recovery from Tommy John, uh, he had it almost on April 1st of 2020. So, you know, even the 15 months takes you to July 1st, and then you you uh, account for some of the slowdowns and hiccups he's encountered, and that uh, that stretches that timeline out further. So, um, you know, they're going to be patient here. There's a guy that they've invested a lot of money in, not just this year, but a few years after this. Um, so I think they're going to be careful, but uh, the notion that you might get somebody the caliber of Chris Sale to come back and – you know, be the ultimate equivalent of a trade deadline pickup, um, I, I think is, uh, you know, if you're sketching out best-case scenarios for the 2021 Red Sox, there it is. Well, and getting Chris Sale back, hovering around that 500 mark, maybe a little bit above, that certainly helps you make that playoff push at the end of the season. Sean, great stuff as always from you. Thanks for coming on the program today, and we'll talk to you again later in the season. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Take care. That was Sean McAdam, uh, beat writer and columnist for the Boston Journal. Turn me up just a little bit, bud. Uh, beat writer and columnist for the Boston Journal, talking to us about the Red Sox. A lot of great stuff uh, from Sean there. As always, we'll talk to him again later in the year when the Orioles play the Red Sox again at some point. Uh, just remember that every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via Pressbox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Mayor Brandon Scott, Ravens safety Anthony Levine, potential Ravens first-round pick Terrence Marshall, incoming Maryland basketball transfer Fats Fats Russell, what a name, and more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. We got to get a break. When we come back, we'll take you on the payoff pitch around the league. 
redefine your skills, inspire change, and make a difference. The Army offers the new generation of youth the ability to be part of something bigger than themselves, while also improving who they will become individually. Soldiers have the ability to impact the world in many different ways. The Army supports humanitarian missions ranging from the COVID-19 response to natural and man-made disasters. Visit GoArmy.com forward slash Baltimore. At Glory Days Grill, they have great food and good sports. Glory Days Grill is a sports-themed family restaurant with 39 restaurants up and down the East Coast. Watch all of the games on a ton of TVs, and each table has its own wireless speaker so you can tune in to whatever game it is you're watching. Find out more about what's happening at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill right now by going to glorydaysgrill.com. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401-9797 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. The journey begins on remote mountain farms and plantations in the lush tropical regions of countries like Colombia and Brazil where the best coffee beans are grown. The beans are harvested by hand, carefully sorted, bagged, shipped, and finally roasted. And the journey ends as your cup of rich, flavorful Royal Farms coffee, the freshest and best coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le Champion. Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at pressboxonline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to the Bat Around in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. I'm your host, Paul Valley. Joined with me as always. Joined with me. Joining me as always is my co-host, Zach Goodman, who's in the producer's chair now. And now it's time for the payoff pitch around the league. In a matchup of last year's AL champion and one of this year's favorites, the Rays got two hits and two RBIs apiece from Joey Wendell and Willie Adamas. And Brandon Lowe, Brandon Lowe hit a, is it Lowe or Lowe? I think it's Brandon Lau. Brandon Lau, because they had Nate Lowe, Brandon Lau. Right. Brandon Lau drove in three of his own to lead Tampa Bay over the Yankees 10-5. to 
Joe Ross threw five shutout innings his return to baseball, but Justin Turner had three hits, including a six-inning solo shot to Abe Walker Bueller's six shutout innings as the Dodgers took down the Nationals one to nothing. John, Johnny Cueto threw eight and two-thirds innings of one-run ball, and Brandon Crawford drove in two runs as the Giants beat the Rockies three to one. The Red Hot Angels used home runs from Jared Walsh and Shohei Otani to go along with Andrew Heaney's nine Ks and six shutout innings to handle the Blue Jays seven to one. Fermil Reyes hit two home runs and Zach Plesac tossed seven shutout innings, allowing just three hits to lead Cleveland to a four to one victory over the Tigers. Ronald Acuna Jr. had three extra base hits among his four hits, including a 456-foot monster home run. Man. And Charlie Morton picked up his first Braves win with six solid innings as the Braves took down the first-place Phillies 8-1. to Joe Musgrove was the story of baseball yesterday as he was brilliant Friday night, throwing the Padres' first-ever no-hitter, narrowly missing a perfect game by hitting Joey Gallo in the fourth inning. The 3-0 victory over the Rangers made the Padres the 30th team to throw a no-hitter, as they were the only team without one heading into Friday. The How do we not talk about Joe Musgrove's no-hitter We have to talk about Joe Musgrove's no-hitter. It was incredible. He was was absolutely phenomenal. Well, he had 10-11 strikeouts. Absolutely phenomenal. Too bad he hit Joey Gallo. Yeah, it would have been a perfect game. Only base runner. Right. The Athletics hit three home runs, and Sean Manaya tossed six innings of one-run ball to beat the Astros 6-2. And finally, the Reds' bullpen blew a 5-0 lead, but Tucker Barnhart contributed three hits, two doubles, and two RBIs, including the game-winner in the attempt to lead the Reds over Arizona 6-5. Now we'll kick it over to Zach, who has today's matchups. All right, 1 o'clock, AL East matchup. The Yankees take on the Rays. The Rays have kind of had a slow start to the season, but they look to get it going against the Yankees. And NL East showdown, Lindor's Mets and the Marlins. And then 2 o'clock, we have the powerful White Sox against the Royals, but playing in Chicago. Uh, the Mariners will face an uphill battle against Nelson Cruz and the Mighty Twins. With Arenado making his presence known in the Central with his walk-off the other day, the Brewers will visit the Cardinals. Moving to 4 p.m., two rebuilding teams and the Rockies and the Giants go head-to-head. A good rivalry as the Astros take on the Oakland A's. And at 6 p.m., the Young Tigers take on the Indians, who are also off to a slow, surprising start. Uh, at 6.30, the, pi- uh, the Pirates and... Uh, Brian Hayes battle the Cubs and Chris Bryant. The young, uh, uh, sorry, uh, at 7 p.m. where every the team everyone wants to watch. The Padres battle the Texas Rangers at Globe Life Field. Then Bruce Zimmerman makes his second Orioles start as they as they host the Red Sox. The incredible two-way Shohei Otani and the Angels go up against the youth movement-inspired Blue Jays. The Braves, who got off to a slow start as well, they host the Phillies in Atlanta. And at 8 p.m., the six and one Red Hot Red, uh, Reds will get hotter as they go to Arizona and face the D-backs. And then finally at 9 p.m., the 2019 world champion nationals will visit la to take on the 2020 world champion los angeles dodgers i'm having trouble reading over here so hopefully i don't have to do any live reads anytime soon (laughs) you do have one coming up man it's all right you struggle but you got through it it's crazy reading's not my specialty i guess Ah, now you're a smart kid man just just slow it down you'll be all right um it kind of crazy that the nationals are the 2019 world champions the dodgers are the 2020 world champions the nationals are in la and the 2020 champions are celebrating their world series at home before the 2019 world series champions get to celebrate their world series at home absolutely crazy well the nationals already did on their opening day against the against atlanta 
They did. Yeah, they were at home for for a uh, game, or th- I guess it was like a three game series against Atlanta. Ah, uh, see, I did not realize that. Yeah, the, na- the Nationals are kind of weird because they'll, all of the COVID stuff. They had a bunch of players test positive. So the Mets, I believe they were supposed to open against the Mets. Then it got delayed. Then that's what they did against. Ah, uh, you know what? I, I read something, and that's probably what they were talking about. That it might have happened that way if all the COVID stuff kept them from playing, and their first series was in LA. That's what it was. Yeah, not not great to already have a COVID situation going on. I, I don't know how that started. I don't know how that. You know, we had the Marlins last year have that giant outbreak. It seems like it kind of, you know, no nobody really had the issue with that. But it seems like we're back to that again. So hopefully not. No Dude, more no, no more COVID issues for the 2021 season. Speaking of HBO Max has a program and I can't remember what it's called. It's like Cruise of Death or something <laughs> like that. Sounds um, like a heavy metal band. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> By the way, I came up with a perfect name for an alt-punk rock band called Minimal Gain. Uh, oh. <laughs> I was <laughs> Laura and I were what, walking... What are we even talking about? I don't know. Laura and I were walking back from the stadium, and I had I, I, I had a few sodas in me. And, um, sodas. I just... Exactly. And I started telling her uh, about how I want to start a band, that's how we'll make our millions, called Minimal Gain. And I, I, I sang the lyrics to our first song that I can't remember now. It was brilliant. She was laughing, and now I can't remember it, as is... Always the case when I come up with stupid harebrained ideas. And, but anyway, and, and, and you're drinking sodas. I mean, yeah, yeah. The the, the ginger ales were flowing. Um, but anyway, check out this program. It's like Cruise of Death or something like that. It's a 40 minute program about the Princess Diamond cruise ship that got stuck in the harbor mm. in Japan um, for over a month. They had over 700 cases and 14 deaths from COVID last February into March. Um, just really the first outbreak, the huge outbreak that we saw. Pretty interesting program. Anyway, moving on. As Zach just mentioned, it's going to be Bruce Zimmerman and Garrett Richards squaring off again in a repeat of last Sunday's matchup to this or this evening. Uh, Richards allowed six runs, runs on seven hits in just two innings on Sunday's. He was exploded for 11 runs on 17 hits in an 11-3 victory. Other side of things, Zimmerman tossed an efficient six innings of three-run ball to earn his first Major League victory. He threw 10 pitches in each of the first four innings and then 11 pitches in the fifth inning before 22 pitch sixth inning ended his first 2021 start really solid performance a yeah, quality start yeah. um the ERA says 450 but he pitched better than a 450 ERA would suggest teams are headed in different directions directions since that day the Red Sox swept the champion Rays outscoring the pitching heavy Rays 26 to 9 in that three game series they won the game in the current series against Baltimore on Thursday they opened things up 7 to 3 33 runs in the last four games after scoring five runs total in their first three games for the Red Sox Meanwhile, the Orioles have lost three of four. They've struck out 13-plus times in a major league record five consecutive games, have five hits in less or less in three of four games. Just two teams headed in opposite directions, it seems. The Orioles kind of need to get back to it today against Garrett Richards. How are you looking at this game? Yeah, I mean, I think Bruce Zimmerman's going to give him a nice performance. You know, he, he seemed like he had a lot of the Red Sox hitters off balance Sox. last time. Nice Red ba- Sox. Red ba- Sox. Baltimore accent there. No, no, um, that was definitely a ba- Red Sox. Red, or Boston accent, really. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. I don't live in Boston, so I don't know where that's coming from. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think Bruce Zimmerman will be fine again. He, he was really pretty solid. Like you said, a bunch of 10-pitch innings, which the Orioles will take that all day. But all we ask of these starters, and especially these young guys, is just give the Orioles a chance to win. And I think Bruce Zimmerman will do that. Um, you know, Garrett Richards, he's okay. You know, like you said, he had those great years with the Angels where he was a lot better than what he is now. Um, but the Orioles have seen him. The Red Sox have now seen Bruce Zimmerman. So it's going to kind of be a game where they kind of know what's coming. They, they, they know what to expect. And I'm not really 
too confident right now with the Orioles' bats. You know, yeah. Garrett Richards isn't that great of a pitcher. He's middle of the road. He's fine. They, they paid him a little bit much, in my opinion. But I, I don't know if the Orioles are going to wake up. They, they haven't woken up. And, and you look at guys like Trey Mancini, Ryan Malcastle, Franco. When it all comes together, they're going to be great. But right now, I have no confidence in what they're doing. Yeah, uh, you hope that the off day on Friday kind of helps them wake their bats up, helps them kind of reset. I want every guy in the cage all day yesterday. Yeah. I want every guy in the cage. Absolutely. Blisters on the hands. Right. Maybe maybe not that extreme, but yeah, you hope that that they have a reset from yesterday, kind of get back to what made us think that that the offense could kind of keep pace this year, because right now the offense has been a downfall of this team, even though they're 4-3 and and in first place, and technically in first place by themselves because they're three and one against the Red Sox this right. year. Um, now Sunday features a matchup of Nick Pavetta and Jorge Lopez. We mentioned Pavetta's made three starts for Boston dating back to last year since coming over in that trade with the Phillies. Nineteen and thirty with a five and a half ERA in ninety-two games and seventy-one starts over parts of four seasons with Philly, but three and zero with a one twenty ERA in three starts at Boston through five shutout innings in the win versus the Rays this past Monday. It gave up just two hits, but he did walk four batters. Um, Jorge Lopez, on the other hand, he actually pitched better than his final line would suggest against the Yankees. We talked about that as well. He exited the game after four and two-thirds innings because he walked the bases loaded in that fifth inning. Armstrong came in, walked a batter, then gave up a monstrous grand yeah. slam. to It's a typical Giancarlo Stanton grand slam. Right. Um, uh, Hicks, the batter before Armstrong, walked. He was 0-2 with two flouts versus Lopez. Uh, Giancarlo was 0-2 with a K versus Lopez. Uh, like I said before, it's, it, was, it was a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Right. You know what I mean? How much stock can we put into these games against the Yankees? Because they are a great lineup, it, and they're a great team. It's, you know, it's it, hard, it, right? It is. It is. Because you see the Red Sox, they, they you know blow them out the, the first three games, and they, they walk all over them. They go to New York, and they stop hitting, and they stop pitching well. And you just gotta wonder... How much stock can you put into it? Is this the real Orioles, or is this just a product of the Yankees being that much better? Because the Yankees are that much better. Well, yeah, the, the Yankees the Yankees are arguably the class of the division. Everybody talks about the Blue Jays, and, oh, the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays can't pitch. Oh, and off to a not-so-hot start. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the Blue Jays just, just can't pitch. Uh, they did take two or three from the Yankees in that opening series, though. What we're really going to see from the Orioles, and we'll talk about this after our third and final break, after take to rake towards the end of the show. But what you're going to see coming up, the Orioles take on the Mariners for four games. and then Winnable, they, all winnable. And then they go to Texas for three games. Again, winnable. Uh, and then they, then they come home and they take on the Marlins uh, for in, a, in a short two-game series before going out to Oakland and playing the 2-7 and seven Athletics. Who I... They're they're better and they'll get better. Seven. They'll improve on that. But what's what's happening? What's going to happen here is you're going to see who the real Orioles are, right? Because look, the Red Sox are. I don't care what anybody says. They're a good baseball. They can team. hit the ball. I mean, no they, doubt they, about they can it. hit. They can pitch. They're a good baseball team. The Orioles are going to play not so great teams like the Mariners, the Rangers, the Marlins, and the Athletics. Right. Uh, we'll see after the next four series starting on Monday. What team we really have here in Baltimore? Right. I mean, if if they're losing, you know, seventy five percent of those games, which you know, in, in 2018, 2019, they probably would have. Then you're going to say, all right, this this team hasn't taken a step from what they were. This team is not actually improved. But if they win, you know, maybe over half of all those games combined, and what is it, probably fifteen, sixteen games combined between those four series. Then you're looking at something. You know, you, you get to face a team, uh, really four teams that aren't that great and they're they're not they don't have these incredible lineups they're not the New York Yankees of the world they're not the 100 win teams like the Yankees so you know while I while I 
talk about the struggles of the Orioles and, and all the strikeouts they have. I think we also have to talk about that it is also uh, you know, j- just a product of the Yankees also being a really, really good team. What? No, no, a- a- absolutely. The Yankees are, like I said, the class of the division. They're head and shoulders above the Orioles as far as talent and uh, what's going on in this division. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Look, if, if you had the Orioles, you don't expect them. You don't expect them to get swept by the Red Sox, right? So, what's probably going to happen if they win today or they win tomorrow? They could be five and four, or potentially six and three through their first three series against the Yankees and the Red Sox. If that's if you had told me that the Orioles through their first three series against the Yankees and the Red Sox. Would be five and four or six and three. There's no. I would have signed up for that in blood. For sure. For sure. Right. So you're looking at a you're looking at a team that's not playing terribly. The, their record isn't terrible, despite the fact that they're not playing great baseball, not playing terrible baseball. But their offense has been struggling to say the least. We'll see what team we really have after the next four series starting on Monday. Um, Zach's going to get Ty Karpovich on the line for us here. Um, yeah, Zach's going to get Todd Karpovich on the line for us here. Um, we're going to talk with him about the Orioles, how despite the fact that they're 4-3, and three, they've been a very frustrating team. Uh, again, they've only really hit this year in one game. They have a ton of strikeouts, a ton of hair runners allowed to, allowed to score. Two of their outfield prospects who you expected to get significant playing time this year in DJ Stewart and Austin Hayes are on the injury list, although we do expect DJ Stewart to be... Um, Activated today and put into that lineup, uh, the Orioles four and three despite a, a frustrating start to the year to say the least. Uh, and with that in mind, we do have Press Box's own Ty Karpovich who covers the Orioles for Press Box and uh, does stuff for Utah Street Report, Russell Street Report, Sports Illustrated. Todd, how are you today? Doing well. How are you doing? We're doing well. It's, it's always a pleasure for us to get to talk to you on the program. So thank you for joining us today. Now, Todd. Despite a four and three record, I was just saying to our audience, this has been a frustrating team to start the season, has it not? They've really only hit in one game. They have a lot of strikeouts, a lot of inherent runners to score, offense isn't clicking. How frustrating has this team been despite a first place start? Well, like you said, they're four and three. Um, and you know, they always they, they've struggled against the Yankees for several seasons here. Um, so and I don't think it's, you know, Overly surprising, you know. I think, but they think they are four and three. I think is a positive sign. Um, taking one of New York was a positive sign, but yeah, there are there are some issues they got they got to deal with, man. Um, you know, especially with the strikeouts. I mean, they they um they lead the entire majors with strikeouts, and you know they gotta they gotta um they gotta figure out getting the ball in play, giving themselves, themselves a chance. They have ninety one strikeouts on the year, uh, which is it's a lot. It's just, so they need to um. They've been a little more patient at the plate. Um, starting pitching's been uneven, you know. Um, bullpen's been average. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if we get into it. It's early in the season. But, yeah, um, they are 4-3, so I'm, I'm going to look at the positive. Half-way four at this point. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And now you look at this team, and the offense was kind of the reason I had hopes that maybe they could be a little bit better this year than people anticipated them being. And right in the middle of that offense was Austin Hayes. And, man, it's it's a, a yearly thing for this guy. He had the best spring of anybody on the team, and he's injured again, pulls that hamstring on a double where he – it was a double off the bat. He didn't need to be racing around the bag uh, at first base when he strained that hamstring. 
Can the Orioles continue to depend on this guy? He hasn't shown that he can stay healthy at any point in his career. It's just frustrating, and I feel bad for him. But like you, like you said, it was again a, a freak injury. It wasn't even something they had to get done. Um, and he was playing well, and he's a guy who can give them a, a boost. And you know, a lot in the outfield. Um, of course, they're going to bring up DJ Stewart today. Um, you know, he's another guy that's been dealing with injuries. But um, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be. It could be some shuffling in the outfield. Um, with Austin Hayes, you know, they need, he needs to show that he can stay in the lineup consistently because he, he's dealt with just a myriad of injuries. He missed a month last year when he got hit in the uh, ribs with a, with, a, with a pitch, you know, um, and then he made his way back and he, he gave, him, gave him, you know, he gave him a spark. And this year, you know, he had such a great spring training. He was, you know, he was supposed to give him another spark. He's starting strong and then he, he gets hurt again. So, and yeah, it's, it's frustrating for him and the club. Um, and again, you're not helping the team in the trainers room. So we'll see. I think the Orioles are going to they'll be patient with him and they'll put him in a lineup when he's healthy. But at, at this time, you know, how where do you where do you fit him in long term if he can't stay healthy? And, and that's really what this team is evaluating right, evaluating right now. What players are are going to be you know are going to form a nucleus for a long term contender? And right now, Austin Hayes he's got he's got to show he can stay healthy. Well, absolutely, and D.J. Stewart is of the same ilk. He's had some injuries throughout his career, freak injuries like taking a pop-up off the head. Um, Now, Pat Valleca was optioned to the alternate training site. You would think that that's to make room for D.J. Stewart. Does he immediately get placed back into this lineup, and does he have an immediate impact? I I I I do think Hyde goes with him early um, to see what he can do. I don't know how much of an impact he's going to have. We'll see. You know, D.J. Stewart's another guy the jury's out on because he hasn't been able to stay on the field consistently. Um, but again, you know, this is a guy who's, he's, he's got to share the world or something this year, or, you know, he might have to find himself a new home, you know, in the future. Um, you know, he's another guy has to share the club. He could be part of the long-term rebuilding project or he's going to go elsewhere. And, you know, and sometimes you knowing guys play out, they move on to another place. They, they, you know, they have a little more luck with their health. Maybe the light goes on. So we'll, we'll see. But yeah, D.J. Stewart, yeah, he's gonna, they're going to they're gonna take a look at him and see what he can do. And he's going to have to prove it to, you know, to the Orioles and Brandon Hyde and uh, Mike Elias that he can stay healthy and be a productive player in the lineup. Now, we know about Ryan Mountcastle's struggles in the outfield. He's been really bad there in the past couple games, but D.J. Stewart isn't a great outfielder himself. He's kind of a guy who is a little bit bigger and he doesn't have the, the range that a guy like Cedric Mullins or Austin Hayes would. So do you trust D.J. Stewart in that outfield spot? Would you trust to put him out there every day, or would you rather have a guy like Ryan Mountcastle still be out in left field? Well, I think you guys think of Ryan Mountcastle. Um, he, you know, he's a guy, his bat, you know, he's such a productive player at the plate, and he's a guy who... You know, obviously, it's not ideal for a major leaguer to learn on the job and to get better on the job because they should be ready. But he's a guy who needs his reps in the outfield. Um, you know, again, the Hayes thing, you know, it's sort of it's, it's sort of throw a wrench in, in everything because, you know, you could probably um, – a Mountcastle could do some DH, you know, if they had – Right. If they had, the, you know, they had the, the numbers. But right now, they're short. And I think you guys think of Mountcastle in the outfield. And Brandon Hyde said on um, – opening day after opening day when he had some struggles out there that they're going to be patient with him. You know, and he's, he's going to get better. And, um, you know, I think he, uh, he's really leaning on uh, Trey, Trey Mancini, you know, because Mancini was sort of in the same boat as Matt Castle when he came up, you know, this guy's never played outfield before the game, before they were drafted. And um, he, he's going to get better. He's going to be okay. You know, I think um, Ryan Mountcastle, they're going to find a place for Ryan Mountcastle in, in this lineup every day. 
Well, and, and certainly uh, we're talking about Austin Hayes and how he plays with his hair on fire. And maybe he needs to know when it's okay to, to kind of slow it down a little bit. Uh, on the inverse with Ryan Mountcastle, the, these these fly balls that he didn't catch that he should have caught on Thursday, yeah. um, it's hesitation. It's 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 you know should I give my all for this? Should I go out or should I let it drop? The one the one pop up that led to a double. Um, it looked to me like he just didn't see the ball off the bat immediately, and when he finally found it, it was too late. Um, yeah, and Cameron Yards, I mean, to, to his credit, Cameron Yards and Buckshot Walter say this all the time. Cameron Yards is a tough place to play a day game because of the shadows. Oh, yeah, it, it, it absolutely is. And a lot of these guys, you, you talk about how he's never played the outfield in his in his life until now. You also have to look at the fact that now there's going to be fans in the stands. There's that three-tier stadium, which you don't see in the minor leagues. It's harder to judge a fly ball at the major league level because you have so much of a background in the back. Is that a, a, a factor in why he's kind of off to a slow start defensively? Well, yeah, I think there's a bunch of factors in there. I think it's you know a lot of it has to do with positioning, comfort zone, you know, and you know, anything is human, you know. So, you know, once you make a mistake out there, then it's in your head, and then it. It can snowball. We've seen that with DJ Stewart. You know, when he makes a mistake, it sort of starts to snowball a little bit. So he just has to, he just has to keep working. You know, I think, I think he's going to be okay. It's going to take some time. And like I said, it's not ideal for a major league to learn on the job, but that's where we are right now. And Mountcastle, you know, he's giving them, you know, he's like always going to give them some, you know, pop with his, with his bat. And that's the key. And um, I think, you know, he's going to come around. Um, you know, again, he's off the sort of a slow start here, but, you know, he does have a homer, but, um, We'll see. It's a marathon, not a sprint, unlike last year. Oh, and that that homer was an absolute rocket off the bat yeah. on on Thursday. And I have no doubts. He looked like a serviceable left fielder last year. I think that he'll find his his stride uh, in the outfield and on offense. Man, when he gets going, it's going to be incredible. It's 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 coming. This entire offense, yeah. it's coming at some point. And before we talk about that offense, I do want to take a step back for a second because we we know that Pat Valeka was the guy option to bring up uh, to bring in DJ Stewart. Valeka is the second player this season that the Orioles offered arbitration to who is now not on the active roster. Uh, when you look at he, him, he got, I think it was $800,000 in arbitration. And then you look at Yomer Sanchez, who got $1.1 million in arbitration. And now neither one of them, Sanchez isn't in the organization, and Valeka is at the alternate training site. Is this something that the team is looking at as a failure, or is this just the business? I think it's just the business. You know, they, they, they're looking for death right now, and guys who can play, and they have guys... You know, and they, they, they're not going to rush their key prospects, and that's the way it's going to be. You know, they're not going to bring guys up before they're ready. So, they're, they're, you know, so they, they shuffle a little bit for, you know, the guys like Valenka and guys like that to, to add some depth. And I think it's just the cost doing business right now. Um, things will be more focused, I think, as we go along this season. But, you know, Valenka struggled. I mean, he was one for nine, um, you know, when he came up. But he's a little versatile, so he's a good guy to have in your system. But, yeah, but, um, like you said, I think, I think they're, they're, they want to be patient some of their key prospects and, and some of these guys they have in here now are, you know, they're going to they're add death. Well, and Pavel Lake is certainly going to be back at some point this right. year, and yeah. he's he's used to this. This is kind of the player that he's been throughout his major league career where he'll, he'll get called up, he'll play for a couple of weeks, he'll get sent back down. He's used to it. Not not that you ever get comfortable with it, but it's not, this is old hat for him. Now, yeah, he's, got some, he's got some pop in his bat, too. He, yeah. He's the guy who can bring something. Yeah, the guy hit two seventy eight with eight home runs last year in, in a yeah. shortened season. I, I, he, he's, he's a good player who's off to a slow start. Now, the entire team, aside from uh, Pedro Severino and Cedric Mullins, is off to 
a slow start. Like you mentioned before, 91 strikeouts to lead to lead the league in strikeouts. Uh, 219 team batting average, a 324 team slugging percentage. What are you seeing in this team uh, as far as their approach and why they're struggling so so mightily? I think that you know, Mancini said he's um, he admitted on uh, Wednesday, uh, was it was it Thursday? I'm sorry. That he was he was pressing a little bit. You know, I think all these guys are sort of pressing a little bit early in the season. You know, um, there's fans back in the stadium. They want they you know they want to show they want to show you know Mike Elias and Brand Hyde you know that they with their you know that they're ready to play. They just need to compete. So I think they'll settle into it. Um, they do need to be more patient at the plate, though. I mean, they're stringing up some bad pitches. Um, they're getting fooled a lot, um, and you know, a lot, I think they just need to do some more work in the film room, also. You know, more more scouting instead of sometimes they seem a little bit overwhelmed by some of the starting pitching they faced. Um, but we'll see. You know, I think that's going to come. They're going to come around. Mancini's going to hit. You know, Ruiz has showed he can hit. Santana's betting two thirty one. You know, he's a guy that's going to come around. So I think they'll be okay. You know, again, it's early season struggles. You know, they only, they only played, you know, um, two teams. So um, we'll see if we get a better, you know, a better, um, better, you know, feel for when they get they play some other some other teams other than the Red Sox and Yankees. Right. Yeah, and with some of the struggles that these guys have had, you look at guys that just really haven't been hitting the ball, even the best players. Would you be in favor of kind of sitting some of these guys, giving them a few days off, and playing some of the guys who haven't had a chance, like Ryan McKenna, you know, Ramon Urias has not played too much. Would you rather, you know, fill those guys in or just let these guys hit and just figure it out? I think you just keep Brandon Hyde sticks to his plan. You know, you, get the, you give them a day off when they're ready. Otherwise, you keep them in the lab, let them work through it. Now we get – you know, we get 20 games in, 30 games in, 40 games in. If they're still struggling, then you got to you got to make a move. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a little early to be talking about sitting sitting guys for a couple of days. You might give Trey Mancini a day off some point next week, or Ryan Mountcastle a day off at some point if the bats are still struggling. But they they have track records. They they will come around. Uh, Mountcastle's hit over three hundred and with power at every level he's ever played at, and we expect that to continue at the major league level. And we saw a glimpse of that in a small sample last year. Now the pitching, on the other hand, it's been so so. Todd, uh, Lope, uh, I thought that Jorge Lopez and um, in his first start and Matt Harvey on Thursday deserve better fates. Um, but Paul Fry and Sean Armstrong, they, they've been bad. Uh, and yeah. for, for Sean Armstrong, he had a great 2020. He had a great spring, went on the paternity list, and in his three appearances since coming back has not been good. Paul Fry, on the other hand, was bad in spring training, and he's been bad to start the year. Uh, how long are the leashes? And you have to assume Armstrong's leash is probably a little bit longer. Yeah, a little longer than Fry, because Fry hasn't struggled in the past. I mean, both those guys, they, they pitched in three games, and they struggled with every appearance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're going to be looking at other pitchers. Yeah, and that's why they're sort of short-handed on their bench, because they've got to have a – has got to have that deep bullpen, um, you know, for um, – just because of these types, you know, these types of issues, uh, you know, occur. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, Paul Fry's got – He's got, to, he's got to be more consistent, you know, with, with himself. Armstrong, again, I think he's a guy to come around. You know, they got some guys, they got some little, they got depth in that, that bullpen. They haven't used a whole lot of it yet. So we're, we'll see. Um, but, you know, I mean, Valdez, look at him. He, he's pitched legs out. He's got two saves already. Um, so we'll see. Hyde, Hyde, they're going to look at these guys. Yeah, but, like, yeah, I got great with you. Paul Fry's got a short leash to Armstrong. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Valdez. Valdez, yeah. uh, Dylan Tate, Tanner Scott, they've been fantastic. 
this year. Yeah. They, they've been absolutely fantastic. I, and another guy, two other guys, the Rule 5 guys, Max Garoller, uh, he challenged uh, Aaron Judge the other day with eight straight fastballs before striking him out. Uh, yeah, Tyler Ty- Wells, too. Yeah, Ty- and Tyler Wells, that's a six foot eight, 250-pound horse that they have up on that, up on that mound. Uh, these guys kind of look like they belong. Do you see them sticking with the team the whole year? I do, I do. I think, and they're also guys who could, you know, if if they had a double header or they need a spot start, either those guys are, are, are an opener. Both those guys would be candidates, you know, um, for Hyde. Um, so yeah, I see if they if they can stay consistent, I, I think they stay with the team. They've been they've been one of the highlights. Yeah, and, and so far they've kind of just been coming in in games where it's kind of already out of reach for the Orioles. I do expect them to get into more high-leverage situations as the year goes on as they earn that trust uh, from the coaching staff. But that still remains to be seen, but it's a good start for both of those guys. Despite about the 5-4 ERA from Tyler Wells, he's pitched better than that ERA suggests. He's had, got yeah. like six strikeouts and two outings. He looks really, really good to me. I'm actually a little bit more excited about him than I am about Scaroller. Yeah, I agree. Me too. I, I like I like Tyler Wells. I think he's a guy that could be he could be a fixture. Absolutely. Now, um, Ryan McKenna made his major league debut because of the Austin Hayes injury. He's uh, arguably the best defender in the outfield that the Orioles have in their system. Bat might not be major league ready. Tore the cro- cover off the ball at Frederick, but then struggled once he got to Bowie. Um, I don't think that anybody really expected him to be the first guy to debut, other than the Rule Five guys this year. But who's the next? Prospect that you'll think that you think will debut for the Orioles. Well, it's, it, I mean, they have you know, they have so many guys you know down. I mean, you look at the. I think you know before we look at the position players, you know, you look at um, you know, some of the pitchers, you know, what, what they have down there, and guys who are you know are going to make a you know a Lopez. When you talk about him, his struggles, they got you know. I think we're going to see Ethan Aiken soon. I think we're going to see Eshelman soon. I think Baldwin's another guy can come up. Um, you know, I think we're going to see more rotation. With the pitchers as opposed to the field players, um, just because you know of what 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 they need in the AL East and where they stand right now, I think they're um, you know they're they're got some moving parts with with the forty man. I mean with with, with the position players, but I think really think they're going to see most of the movement with the um, with the pitching. Now, we learned this week that Heston Kerstad, he was supposed to report to the alternate training site, and he hasn't reported yet. He's not on that initial roster that the Orioles put out. Are you getting a little worried about Heston Kerstad? Where does that stand with the whole, you know, myocarditis situation? Do you expect Heston Kerstad to be back soon? I would imagine. You know, they haven't said it. Orioles are pretty, they're pretty mum on it, but it's, it's not a good yeah. sign, you know, when something like that happens. Right. You know, it's it's got to be some alarming. And, of course, Hyde won't talk about it. You know, I'm sure he has a. He has his orders from up top, you know, just to say it's a liquid situation. But yeah, I think I think there's got to be some concern there. Yeah, and, and you you look back, you took this guy second overall, and he can't seem to find his way to a baseball field for the Orioles. Do, do they look back on that now and think, man? We we saved a lot of money by by drafting him second overall, and that w- allowed us to draft these other guys that maybe would have been stuck with their commitments to college, like a, a Carter Balmer or a a, a Kobe Mayo. Uh, but do they look back on that and say maybe we should have taken Austin Martin with that second overall pick? Oh, I guarantee they will. Yeah, that's exactly right. You can't have your second round pick not showing up. I mean, that's not good. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Now, Todd, that's going to that's gonna do it for our questions regarding the Orioles in this segment. We certainly appreciate your time, as always. Now, we end the program every week with a segment that we call Take to Rake. And if you're not familiar with this, what we do is I pick a player, Zach picks a player, and our final guest on the show picks a player um, that we think is going to have the best week for the Orioles uh, moving forward. The only rule to this is you can't take the same player 
two weeks in a row. So if I took Trey Mancini last week, I can't take him this week. Um, so last week I won because I took uh, Ryan Mountcastle over opening day and he had the big two run, two RBI double. Uh, really the only guy who performed exceedingly well other than Cedric Mullins, and nobody took him. Um, so I got to pick first last week. I took Anthony Santander. Paul Moncano, uh, he came on. He took Michael Franco, and Zach Goodman took Cedric Mullins. Santander was 5 for 22, one home run, four RBIs. Uh, Michael Franco, 4 for 24, two doubles, no home runs, four RBIs. And Cedric Mullins, 11 for 25, three doubles, one home run, one RBI, one stolen base, 1161 OPS. I think by far and away, Zach gets Zach has had a he struggled with take to rake to say the least. It, uh, it's been it's been a rough uh, been a rough few weeks there, but uh, rough six months. Rough for you. rough six months would be a better uh, explanation. But I am back. I am back. I am on the board. Yeah, Zach is off the Schneid. He's on. He gets to pick first. Anthony Santander had a slightly better week than Michael Franco, so I get to pick second. Todd, we're gonna have you pick third today. So Zach, go ahead and pick your player. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Santander. I think that's a, a solid pick. He's been you know playing a little bit better than a lot of the guys who haven't been playing so well you know I, I'd be nervous taking Mancini or Malcastle or even you know Franco right now but Santander is my guy for this week all right I'm gonna take DJ Stewart okay I think he's gonna come off come off the uh, IL hot uh, insert himself firmly into this lineup and have himself a nice big week uh, and Todd who do you have oh I'm going to Trey Mancini he's five for 28 he's gonna break out of the slump he's talked about it um, Trey Trey says he puts <laughs> Trey puts his mind to something it's going to happen. He said on uh, he said on Thursday he's going to start locking down, focusing, and break out of this thing. And uh, I think it happens. I think, I think Trey Mancini has a huge week for the Orioles. Uh, damn it, Todd! I did not know that he said he's going to lock down and break Uh-oh. out of this thing. I think that that's a, that's probably the best pick. I'm already calling your win for this week. <laughs> I'm calling your win. We will certainly let you know how you did. Thanks for joining the program. As always, Todd. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. If you're headed to a baseball game this season, you're going to need to wear a mask. So why not wear masks to celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love? PressBox is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the former MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They are not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games while being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash masks. These are the final days to pick up these are the final days to pick up the most recent print edition of PressBox on the cover of your lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde. As he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college across feature, introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of our area schools. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBox online. And coming this Wednesday, a new print edition featuring a cover story about John Means and pitching coach Chris Holt. And uh, also, Toyota RAV4, make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4, available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. We're going to get a break and wrap up the show when we come back. 
C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401-9797 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. Guys, we're almost there. As a lot of people have said, we are at the 10-yard line, but the COVID-19 pandemic is not quite over, so we need to continue to be vigilant, do the right things, including wearing our masks, and if we're going to wear them, why wouldn't we wear masks that represent our favorite teams and players? Home team masks available right now. Pressboxonline.com slash masks. we got a purple and orange state flag neck gaiter for you, as well as the Celebrate 8 MVP neck gaiter, and an over-the-ear faded display stress state flag and traditional colors mask they're available pressboxonline.com slash masks let's get this over with wear our masks home team masks this is how you get a premium cup of coffee better and faster than the drip 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 method and way better than a large urn of lukewarm coffee made who knows when at royal farms our new swiss made coffee machines grind fresh premium beans on the spot and then brew them one cup at a time for the freshest, most flavorful cup of premium coffee you can buy. This is Royal Farms Coffee. It's better because it's the freshest coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Redefine your skills, inspire change, and make a difference. The Army offers the new generation of youth the ability to be part of something bigger than themselves, while also improving who they will become individually. Soldiers have the ability to impact the world in many different ways. The Army supports humanitarian missions ranging from the COVID-19 response to natural and man-made disasters. Visit GoArmy.com forward slash Baltimore. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, a lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college lacrosse feature, introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of the area schools. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the Bat Around. Coming to you live, as always, every Saturday from the Chesapeake Employers stu- Insurance Studio. I'm Paul Valley with my co-host, Zach Goodman. A really great show today, Zach. Really great show. Always 
always fun. Now, look, we love having Stan on the program. He's the founder of this show, and yep. we pay him the, the proper respect by having him on every week, and it's always great to talk baseball with him. But I also love the opportunity we get when we get extended time to talk about the Orioles back and forth. That's my right. favorite thing to do. Yeah, it, it is, certainly. I mean, we, we have a lot to talk about right now, especially with the season just being underway, and it's opening week, um, you know, for, for better or for worse for the Orioles. They are in first place right now, so there's a lot to talk about, and it's it's always fun to uh, you know to get the 50 minutes to talk about it for sure. Absolutely, and we only got to host this show for a two month season last year, so Just caught the tail end of it. Yeah, and and so we don't know if we're going to hit June or July, and the Orioles might be 10, 15 games below 500, and then we kind of get bored with it. You know what I mean? Sure. And and look, nobody's going to sit here and say, oh this. I love baseball so much that this is fun the entire season. Guys, it's not right. fun really, watching your team get their teeth kicked in. Rebuilds are not meant to be fun. Yeah, they're, it's, they're, they serve a purpose, but they're not fun. Now, look, I love baseball, and I love seeing individual performances, and I love right. seeing this team get better. Um, but, look, I watch this team lose every year right. from 1998. Before Zach was even alive, I watch this team lose every year from 1998 through 2011. I watched them win their 81st game on my birthday in 2012 on a Manny Machado walk-off single in 14 yep. innings against the Rays. Uh, and that was an awesome birthday present because it was the first winning season I had seen since I was in middle school. So it's it was one of those things where like that was super exciting for me. But those 14 years of losing, that was not fun. And every year I found a way to get excited about Orioles baseball. And when I look back on some of those teams, man, I'm like... Why? How, how in the blue hell did I find optimism yeah. about every year? Like, oh, they're going to win this year. There was no way with Cesar Torres starting at shortstop and Rodrigo Lopez being the ace of your staff. And I love Rodrigo. He and I have interacted a couple times on Twitter. There's no way that that team was winning. Right. There's no way. But you hope. I mean, you're but, a fan. But, and but you you're hope. a fan and you hope. And this year, you know, it's a, a little bit of the orange Kool-Aid, me wearing the Orioles blinders, saying right. that, they, that this team is better than people think. They're certainly not bad. Right now, they're not playing great baseball. Right. but And that, that, that also kind of gives you hope. Right, that they they've played the Red Sox and the Yankees. They're in first place, and the offense is bad. I mean, right I, now. I I think we've seen already with that eleven run game they put up against the the Red Sox. We've seen what this team can be, mm-hmm. and th- this team isn't that right now. They're they're not you know the, the Yankee series, and now what they're doing against the Red Sox, the team isn't that. But if they get back to it, it all clicks. They can be a really good team. I mean, you've got guys like John Means, Bruce Zimmerman, Matt Harvey, who can give you respectable starts night in, night out, and give the offense a chance to win when it all clicks. And I, I think at some point it will. You'll see Mancini break out. You'll see Mountcastle break out. You're talking about a solid team that anybody, nobody wants to play the, that team. You know, when yeah. you have John Means starting every night. Nobody, nobody wants to face a, on, a, on a given day John Means on the mound right. and a middle of your order that's Trey Mancini, exactly. Anthony Santander. Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes. That, that's 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 a difficult team to to face. Right. But they got to get there. They, they they're not quite there yet. They will be, like I said earlier in the program. They're all slumping at the same time, which in my mind means that they're all going to get hot. Exactly. At the they, same they time, um, DJ Stewart, I think, is going to kind of help catapult this team a little bit. Uh, I think you he's going to play tonight. That's my my opinion. Is he's going to he's being activated to be in that starting lineup? Has he officially been activated yet? He hasn't yet, but everybody knows that the yeah. Pat Valleca move is sure, to activate yeah, sure. DJ Stewart. Why else would you would you make a move? Right. Right. Um, and he was supposed to be activated by the. April 8th home opener, but he wasn't. So you would imagine that this is the move now. And I did read yesterday that um, 
that he was expected to be activated this okay. weekend. So it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think with Stewart, um, he hasn't proven anything. He, his first-round pick, he, he's had some flashes that five-home run week he had or whatever it was. Six-home runs. Six-home runs. Six. He don't, he, don't, don't short the man. He was unbelievable. I mean, he was. you saw what DJ Stewart could be. Um, and, and just like the Orioles, you know, he, he's a streaky guy. He's going to have some great out, you know, he's going to have some great nights where he's going to blast the ball off Garrett Cole and he's going to look like the best hitter you've ever seen, and then he's not. But I think DJ Stewart can definitely provide a spark. I hope he does. Well, and, it's well needed. And the one thing that DJ Stewart will always have is that great eye. Yes. He got drafted in the first round because he could hit, and he had right. some power, and he had some speed, but also because he was a prolific eye. He has a prolific exactly. eye. He, 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 I think he set all sorts of records for on-base percentage in college. Um, yep. So th- this is a guy that can get on base, and he still does it at the professional level. Now, look, I think that they should bat him second. I think you're still going to see Trey Mancini batting second tonight. Uh, you're probably going to see DJ Stewart maybe batting sixth or seventh in this order, but Agreed. he's go- he's going to be in the lineup. They're not sending Pat Valeka down to yeah. the to the ATS to bring up DJ Stewart to have him sitting on the bench. Yeah, I mean, I think they they view Ryan McKenna as kind of that fourth outfielder type. They brought right. him up to replace Austin Hayes, not to really play that much. I mean, if they need him, you know, he's maybe a ninth inning Mountcastle or Stewart defensive replacement left field. Right. Yeah. He he's basically what I thought Cedric Mullins was going to be. Exactly. Right. And he he's going to play. Maybe you know he's going to get some at bats here and there. But it's DJ Stewart. I think they're going to play. They this. This is a guy they want to finally see. Ryan McKenna just isn't quite the the talent that you know a, a guy like DJ Stewart is, and and that's why they didn't bring up Houston Diaz. A lot of people were going when Austin Hayes got injured. Oh, let's bring up Diaz, and I'm going. Yeah, they're not going to do that because they want the fourth outfielder type. They want to play DJ Stewart, and they want Ryan McKenna to be the backup guy. They want Houston Diaz playing if he's up. Not you know they they don't view necessarily McKenna and Diaz the same way. Um, so I agree with you. I, I think DJ Stewart's going to have an immediate impact and play a lot. Yeah, I, I don't know how immediate the impact is, but when you have well, somebody when, when, when the bats are going this bad, it's well, it, well but and that that could be the immediate impact. Yeah. The immediate impact is you have you know uh, Anthony Santander and Ryan McKenna uh, striking out. After the Orioles score, go ahead, run in the in extra inning, striking out on six pitches yeah. uh, with only one of them ever having actually been in the strike zone. You're not going to get that from DJ Stewart. DJ Stewart's right. going to see five, six pitches in that bat, and he's going to draw his walks. And maybe that kind of slows down the rest of the lineup and kind of gets him taking a similar approach. He's going to make the pitcher throw pitches. These other batters could see that and say, you know what, this is what we need to do to kind of get our to get ourselves back in rhythm here. And that, that could be. It might not be that he comes up and he hits 450 in his sure, first five sure. games with three home runs. It could just be that he shows a patient uh, approach and gets on base and kind of has that domino effect. Yeah, approach is the big thing. I'm glad you mentioned approach because I think the Orioles have got to change something. I mean, when you have this many guys that are struggling, at some point you've got to go up there and say, "All right, here I'm going to take the first pitch. I'm going to wait until they throw me a strike, and then I'm going to start swinging the bat." And I think being over aggressive and swinging at the first and second pitch of every at bat is just kind of counterproductive. And that's what the Orioles have done a lot. Like you mentioned, DJ Stewart is a guy who can provide you with more of a a balanced at-bat, I would say, and and try to work it a little bit longer than some of the Orioles can. So I I agree. I mean, I I think DJ Stewart is... A, should be a well-needed spark, and hopefully he gets the rest of the lineup to to adjust their approach a little bit, for sure. Absolutely. Guys, that's going to do it for us here on the bat around. A, a really great, really fun show yeah. to talk about the first-place Orioles who aren't playing well and they're still in first place, so it's it's nice to see. Hopefully that gives us a little bit of hope. They have a four-game series coming up starting Monday with the uh, Mariners before going to Texas for three games and coming home to play the Marlins for two games before going out to Oakland. Um, so the Orioles... 
Playing the Red Sox and playing the Yankees, it's tough. It's tough to, to use exactly. that as a measuring stick because uh, despite what people think, the Red Sox are a good baseball team. Right. The Yankees are a great baseball team. You're going to see where the Orioles measure up against the rest of the league starting on Monday. And I, I for one, I'm looking forward. Until then, as always, be vigilant, wear your masks, be socially distant, stay healthy. We'll see you next week. See you.